Imagine the Possibilities is dedicated to empowering people to reach individual achievement across the spectrum of life. We believe in creating lasting relationships, empowering people for success, and cultivating joy. Our team of passionate people work each day to serve our communities in ways that create a lasting impact. We believe in creating opportunities for people with disabilities to achieve goals, build skills, and celebrate all that's possible. If you want to learn more about us or join our exceptional team, visit us at imagineia.org. Camping the Night Away is coming up Thursday, October 5th at Cedar Ridge Winery and Distillery in Swisher. This annual Children's Cancer Connection event is one way you can support Camp Heart Connection Camps, offered free of charge to Iowa families affected by childhood cancer. Enjoy a camp-themed evening of food, drinks, games, auctions, and raffles, all for a great cause. Get tickets at childrenscancerconnection.org. That's childrenscancerconnection.org. We appreciate our advertisers and our sponsors as always. And as always, we also appreciate Mr. Don Patterson, Coach Don Patterson, who is with us on a rainy Sunday. Don, is it raining in beautiful Iowa City? It has been. We need the rain, so I'm not going to complain. None of us should be complaining and uh, maybe a little bit late to help the farmers, but uh, it looks like the crop, uh, not to turn this into a farm show, we were talking about this this afternoon, the the soybeans look, some of the soybeans look ready, uh, some of the corn looks ready, and uh, anyways, that's a sign that football is here. We're two weeks into the season and the Hawkeyes are, of course, 2-0, and and Don, you were uh, back at uh, an old favorite of yours, Western Illinois, yesterday. First of all, before we talk about the Cyhawk win and get your overall takeaways, and we'll start taking some calls from our folks here in Hawkeye Nation. Don, your trip, how did it go to Macomb? And uh, I understand the Leathernecks did not win, but it sounds like they competed. They competed well. They faded in the second half, maybe simply because their depth is not quite as good as Illinois State. But I thought they played with a lot of enthusiasm. It was an entertaining game to watch. They have a very good pass offense. Their problems are tied into not being able to run the ball that well and not being able to pass protect very well either. And that's a bad combination, obviously. But if the quarterback had time to throw, incidentally, he's a transfer from northern Iowa and a pretty darn good one. Uh, Morris is his name. Uh, They have good receivers. They caught the ball well. They ran good routes. They simply couldn't run the ball, and they couldn't pass protect very well, and they had some difficulty defending the run too. So it's hard to win under those circumstances. Don, let's get some some brief takeaways. I was on for about three hours yesterday, as, as I know you you caught about the last hour of it, I believe is what you told me right. um, on, on your way home. And you, so you kind of got an idea of where I stand with this game and takeaways. It's a fabulous victory to go on the road and win at Iowa State. I don't care what anybody has to say. Winning on the road in Ames is not easy. They've won six straight here. But that is not easy to do, and you take it for granted when it just continues to happen. And Matt Campbell's a very well-respected coach across the country, but Kirk Ferentz has had his number. Well, and you know me with analytics. It appears, based on analytics, it's easier to win in Ames than it is in Iowa City. In that game, yeah. That, that defies logic, of course. So, Don, what were your what were your overall takeaways from yesterday? I just thought we were a very opportunistic team which, as you know, is a good way to be. Need to take advantage of the opportunities as they present themselves. 
Uh, we certainly didn't do a great job of that. We can think about some lost opportunities downfield on offense that we weren't able to connect on. But the real positives come to mind for me. Uh, they have a really nice drive to open the game. They're in range for a mid-range field goal, and they probably get it blocked by Logan Jones. Uh, smart football, good football. Did a nice job of just pushing that that offensive line off the ball and getting his hands up and got a piece of it. So that was uh, – if you want to think about it, we always think about a field goal being worth three. Well, you might argue that a block field goal is worth three also, you know, because you took three off the board that might have been on the board. So if you look at that play and, of course, you look at that Sebastian Castro's interception return, that's a 10-point swing right there. And just imagine, Corey, late in the game it's 20-13, to 13, and we're not too nervous because we know even if they get a touchdown – They'll probably just kick it and we'll go to overtime, and we didn't want that, of course. Uh, but just imagine if the score at the time was 20-16. to 16. Imagine if that first field goal had gone through. At that point, I'll promise you, we would have been nervous, much more nervous than we were with the seven-point lead. Do you think Iowa, if it was 20 – to this is just speculation, of course, but knowing what you know about Kirk, was there any chance Iowa was more aggressive and maybe went play action on that series that – ended up resulting in a punt that gave Iowa State the ball back with a chance there at the end? You mean our last three snaps? Yeah. Before he took a knee? Um, yeah. Um, maybe. Maybe, maybe not. You know, the good thing about a, even a four-point lead, of course, a field goal won't do it. So they still needed a touchdown either way. Uh, my only fear, four versus seven, if it's seven and we give up a touchdown – we can either defend a two-point play or go to overtime in all probability. And, of course, if it's only a four-point lead, then a touchdown doesn't get us beat. I was proud of the defense for how they played there at the end. You might find this interesting. We were actually in dime personnel. We had six DBs on the field on those last three snaps. Um, and then we our, our coverage of choice, we've done it, we did it in first week, too. We played what we call two-man. We played five under man. We manned all the receivers across the board with two high safeties in behind his insurance. So effectively, we had all the receivers double teamed. If you want to uh, acknowledge that any ball thrown way down the field would be also defended by a safety. Uh, that worked pretty well. That still left us with four rushers, of course. And with a spy also, it still left us with with uh, number 34 there in the middle of the formation. And the nice thing about it, of course, um, they ended up looking at third and one. They thought then – was it third and one, as I recall, right? I'm sorry, fourth yeah. and one. Fourth and one. Fourth and one. They made the mistake of just trying to run the ball with, with light personnel. Uh, and they, as I recall, well, what did happen the play before? I can't remember what, what actually happened on, on third down. They ran it for a yard or whatnot. I believe it was third and two, wasn't it? Wasn't it third, third. and two? And they ran so, for a third yard. Two. Uh, and they ran it on third down, I do believe. Is that right? I think. I believe, yeah, they ran They ran all three downs. Yeah, the thing we know for sure is they ran it on fourth down. and uh, But they were they were with a light formation, and our guys suspected it was going to be a run. And, of course, uh, our man Herkett made the play, right? He was the guy that made the tackle, I do believe. Um, so they couldn't even make a first-class possession. Was that I know you and I – was that strange that they ran so much there, and especially on fourth and one when it wasn't working? 
Well, if you're going to run, that's fine. Because I think they still had uh, – well, maybe not. They, they burned their timeouts on our previous plays, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, so that was the end of the game, effectively. A little surprising because, as you know, a first down does in the last two minutes. So even if they ran the ball on fourth and one, and it's hard to imagine they wouldn't have made a first down with just a good hard-hitting run play because we had a light box, right? Um, but at any rate, we don't have to find out. They didn't involve uh, for first down yardage, and the game is effectively over. Yeah, and and uh, the clock management thing, Don. You you now you you went back and looked at it, and I'm disappointed in Matt Campbell and the Iowa State coaching staff. And I'm standing in the stands over by the Iowa sideline when that's happening, and I was in a way laughing because I'm like, this is awful. I, I don't know what well, where's even, the emergency. I couldn't help but notice there was even a, a reaction from their fans, right? The, the boo birds were out. As Tom Cater yeah, said, they were, absolutely. They were trying to remind the coaching staff, hey, the clock's really getting low. It'd be nice if you guys picked up the pace a little bit. Let me tell you a story, Corey, about one of one of our games. Okay. Uh, and I always I always introduce two-minute offense. Even as a head coach, I introduced two-minute offense. And I was able to explain to them, here's how I presented it. I said, I don't care if they've shut us out all day. What's changed then at the end of the game with two-minute offense? What's changed – what were we thinking? We've been trying to do it on three downs. Now we have an extra down. Is it hard to imagine? How many points would you score in a game if you always used fourth down? Not hard to imagine. You'd score a lot of points. The negative, of course, if you do get stopped, you've given up a lot of field positions, so not a good idea to do it down after down. But the point is, Corey, even if they've stopped us all day, we got the extra down. Advantage right. to us. Right. And, and the beauty of this, we're playing at Missouri State. They have an outstanding team. We're down 10 to nothing with seven minutes left in the game. Right then, we're down two scores. I said two minutes on this next possession. We went down the field 85 yards, uh, and we were in hurry up, of course, so we, we might have burned maybe two or three minutes off the clock to, to drive the length of the field. So now we're down 10-7. Uh, they get the ball, and they make the mistake of getting knocked out of bounds on one of those three downs, which gave us a chance to save one timeout for our last possession. You have an idea what happens twice on that last drive. We had to go for it on fourth down. We converted both times. And at the end of the game, we beat them 14 to 10 with not one, but two two-minute drives for touchdowns. So it can be done. It's very rare when anybody does that. But the point as it relates to the UNI situation, they're down seven. At the very least, you up tempo. You play faster. Because, my gosh, we were – they were snapping the ball with maybe 10 seconds left on a 40-second clock. No, Don, they, they were snapping. There were a couple times they snapped it with under three seconds left. I didn't realize some were that low, but I, I did notice for sure that the clock was low. No, I, I there was one there was one play uh, on that second drive, on that first of the two drives where they needed to, you know, they are down two scores. The clock was at one, and they snapped it. And and most importantly, the game clock was moving. Right at the clock, right. if the – if the play clock was on one, no big deal as long as the game clock stopped. Your and, point and is they were both moving. Let me say this about the defense, and I've had a, a, a 24 hours to kind of mull this the whole thing over, and we got some pushback on the show. I don't know that it was more toward, toward me or toward some of the people who were calling in about how Hawkeye fans are just negative because some fans are still concerned about the offense, and I think there's some 
validity to the concern there, Don. I think you'd probably validate that. We'll talk about it. Yes. But let me just make this statement about the defense now that I've had some time to really think about it. I thought the defense was phenomenal yesterday. I thought it was phenomenal. And you think about what they did. uh, First of all, they give up the one drive early. And special teams comes through, gets a blocked field goal. That was a big play because I'll give Iowa State credit. That first drive seemed to be orchestrated well, and they were hitting their spots. And I thought Rocco Beck had some rhythm. I thought they were getting the ball out of the pocket, very similar to how Cooper Lagasse did early against Iowa in week one. And I think that's that's a formula uh, to kind of feel things out, get that ball out of the pocket, stay ahead of the chains, obviously, like Iowa wants to. And then as the game went on, Iowa just – I would say struggled to run on Iowa. I thought the front four was really good for the Hawks. They're not getting home a lot. We can talk about why that might be. But, man, I just thought all the way up until that touchdown to Deshaun Lee, and let's remember, that was a fourth down play, all right, and kind of a Hail Mary to the end zone, good pass. Deshaun Lee's right there. He's a true sophomore, I should say, a redshirt freshman, filling in for a suspended veteran in Jamari Harris playing on the road for the first time in his career, held his own all day and retreats into the end zone and narrowly misses on a play to probably their best receiver. I don't think Jalen Knowles is their best receiver. I think it's Jaden Higgins, a transfer from Eastern Kentucky. Really good catch. But that ball goes down, game's over, and they win. Iowa's winning 20-6. to Right. So now I give the kid credit. They gave him him life. Um, But, you know, then they get the ball back, and – you know they're not moving the ball. And I, you just felt like with the way that Iowa State was – was uh, they lacked that sense of urgency and their lack of clock management there on that second-to-last drive. Man, I was, I'm was i sitting there on the sideline thinking, Phil has to just be – I mean, he, he you can't – I'm sure he's not loving the fact that Iowa State's advancing the ball down the field. But at the same time, he's got to be looking at the clock too saying, it's okay, keep running the ball. We'll give you three, four yards. Keep running the ball. Keep running the ball. Keep running the ball. And I'll tell you who's been, who who benefits from the whole clock thing is a guy like Phil Parker in a situation like that where you're playing um, when you're playing with the lead and the other team cannot stop the clock with first downs. And now all of a sudden now you got to utilize the boundary. You better hope you didn't burn your timeouts early. All, all of right. a sudden timeout usage has become more and more important. So there's just so many things that to go that goes into this. I just think the defense was phenomenal and. Um, that was not a surprise to me because I thought they underperformed week one. They didn't perform badly against Utah State, but I thought the secondary was better this week. I thought Cooper DeGene played better. Deshaun Lee was a man, and the front four looked really, really good. And Nick Jackson played better. Yes, he did. I made the comment about Deshaun Lee. I said uh, they went after Deshaun. Logically, they, they sure. would. He's, he's probably targeted at least twice as many times as Cooper was. But the thing I liked about him, he competed. He wasn't afraid to play. He competed. Uh, he wasn't perfect, but he was he was out there competing, and he, it wasn't like they just took a huge advantage of him. They didn't do that. How about this for a great irony? That fourth and one pass into the end zone for the touchdown was 16 yards, which was one yard longer than all those previous plays. The longest play they had up to that point was a 15-yard play. That was it. Talk about a great job of, of limiting them to, to short gainers, of not allowing the big play, as we say, not allowing explosive plays. How about this for an irony, Corey? It was almost as if Iowa State, Iowa State decided the best way to beat Iowa is to adopt a really conservative approach on offense, much like Iowa does. 
the irony of, of yesterday is the more aggressive team in terms of play calling was wearing black and gold. And we didn't hit on all of them, but we hit on a few, and they did make a little bit of a difference in the game. You know that's not going to make some Iowa fans happy to hear you say that. To hear you say that. Well, it's true. You know, we, we didn't execute great. You know, we had some lost opportunities, but at least we tried. So I'm encouraged that we had a mentality – uh, yeah, we want to we want to exercise great ball control and and protect the ball. Of course, we're not going to turn it over. Incidentally, how about playing all day without a single penalty? That's hard to do. Uh, playing all day with one turnover that's also hard to do. Uh, but the thing I liked is even on third and short, my God, three different times we went play action pass and threw the ball down the field on three different third and shorts. Uh, at this point, I'd say. Um, Brian, they might expect play action pass on third and short. You might want to go to something else, like running for a first down. Uh, we didn't hit on all of them, but I know we hit on at least one or two of them. Can't remember if we hit on one or two of those three. Um, come to think of it, I think one of them might have been the missed opportunity uh, to uh, help me out. The double move by by number six, right? Yeah, the the. You're talking about the play that was overthrown by Matt by uh, Kate. Well, that was second. That was second and fourteen. Uh, incidentally, let's talk about that play. Double, first off, we're on the minus eight yard line. It would have been a ninety-two yard touchdown. Double move by Seth, overthrown. Cade was forced to step up into penetration. In other words, a little pressure off the edge. He steps up. Now he's a little bit, a little bit um, bothered by the fact that an inside rusher had penetrated. He threw the ball, as you saw. He didn't have a chance to really step into his throw. He still got the ball down range. Of course, it was just slightly overthrown. And you've always heard me say, Corey, if you have a guy open deep downfield, it's okay to err on the side of, uh, of conservative throwing. It's okay for the guy to have to wait for the ball because we're still going to pick up 30 or 40 yards. Uh, and uh, in that case, we slightly overthrew it. Incidentally, nice route uh, by uh, – Number six by our new receiver, uh, Seth ran a nice route, and uh, the corner bit, and he was open deep downfield. We just overshot him. I was there at the game, Don. I know you were not, but you were at the game against Utah State. Based on the little evidence I've seen so far, small sample size of two games, it appears to me that Iowa receivers are getting more separation than they have in the past. Is that accurate or no? Am I blowing that out of proportion? I would say we were better than week one, yes. Well, but I even think in week one, I mean, the, let's let's not forget the the Seth Anderson double move that caused the DB to fall down on right. the second play from scrimmage. How often has Iowa had those blow the top off the defense type of pass plays in recent years? Not nearly it's enough, that's for sure. Almost never. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I like Seth Anderson. I like that kid. He, he's a good kid. Got, we've talked about his bloodlines. He's a good football yep. player, and uh, he's got a chance. And uh, Devon, Deontay Vines had one yesterday that could have been a big gainer. Uh, maybe yeah. Luke Lachey. The Vines play. Let me let me look it up. What was the? I can't remember what it was now. I think it was fourth. Was it fourth quarter? Was there another double cut? I don't remember the play exactly. I know that that was. One it was simply a go route. Yeah, it was a go right against press coverage. Um, it was underthrown. It was broken up. Um, so in that case, uh, Kate simply didn't get the ball down there. It was underthrown. It was thrown going north 
Uh, the wind was a little bit out of the north, as I recall, wasn't it, Corey? Um, that's a good question. I have no idea. Yeah, I'm not sure either. <laughs> no idea. Good question. But I do know that that, that ball was legitimately underthrown. Can I just and, say this? There, there was not a lot of wind. Yeah, okay. It was pretty still yesterday. I didn't, I didn't notice wind really at all. I'm sure there was some wind on the field, but I, I didn't notice much. Here's the little things that a coach notices. We had a new wrinkle that we showed on middle screen to Eric Hall. We faked the sweep to number 21 and threw the middle screen. Really athletic play by Eric, by the way. Yeah, it was. So uh, I'm, I'm happy that the coaches are, are maybe being a little more innovative than they, than they were um, last season or maybe even than they were a week before because that was a well-conceived play. And all we're doing, we used to refer to it as window dressing. All we're doing is giving them something else to think about other than this might be why screen. I can't remember what we – I think we maybe used a, maybe a fly motion for white screen the week before, but one right across from a direct uh, handoff position to the the uh, the back flying across – the wing back flying across the formation. Then we threw white screen. This time we actually faked with him coming behind the quarterback, you might recall. Different look is my point. Average fan wouldn't even notice the difference, but as a coach you notice because they dressed up white screen differently this way than they did the week before. And again, I think that's smart football to do that. Before we get to our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line, we've got a couple of people on hold already uh, on StreamYard and on our call-in line. We're going to put our caller on the phone line on hold. I want to give a quick shout-out to our sponsors. They're the ones that make these shows possible. And certainly, uh, after doing a three-hour show yesterday and a pregame show, and now we're doing another show. I love doing the shows, but... Um, certainly appreciate the sponsors that help make that possible. Brad Van Meter and his team down at State Farm. Rates have never been as low as they are right now with auto insurance. According to Brad, call him to uh, inquire about a quote for you and your family, saving people lots of money. They spend countless hours reviewing coverages each and every year. They meet annually with their customers. Of course, State Farm has celebrated its 100th year of being in business. Uh, well, about, about a year ago, what are they, about 101 years into uh that long storied history of insurance and providing people great coverage. Again, give Brad and his team a call 515-256-6480 or visit him online at www.bradbandmeter.com or in person at 4229 Fleur Drive in Des Moines and Iowa Smokehouse. I talked about them. They're sponsoring uh, the show today, including our call line. So it makes our uh, interaction with fans that much more enjoyable. If you want a better quality snack for game day or any day, check out what, they offer at iowasmokehouse.com. A full lineup sure to satisfy you and your family's snacking needs, whether it's their thick and tender cuts of beef jerky, flavorful meat sticks, or delicious steak bites, or even their ketchups and barbecue sauces. You'll never need to look anywhere else. Tasting is believing. Visit iowasmokehouse.com and use the code HAWKEYES for 15% off your order. All right, let's go to our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line. We've got Nile on hold. Nile, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, Corey? Can you hear me? I can hear you now. All right. Well, this is my third time on the show. I called uh, back in 2021 when we beat Maryland by a million. And okay. I thought the Hawkeyes were going to fly to the moon and then never come back. And then uh, when Cade signed last year. Um, but both times uh, we did some comparisons between previous Iowa teams and, uh, and quarterbacks. And so I was just kind of hoping we could do that again um, to okay. me right now. McNamara looks his presence in the pocket. You know, he's he's pretty accurate with the ball. He looks a little bit like Stanzi to me. Uh, I feel like as he gets healthier and healthier, uh, maybe that's a more viable comparison. Um, 
But other than that, I don't, I'd say they're not quite like the 2019 uh, just because they don't, they don't run the ball quite as well. Uh, you know, they had Wagner and Adam Robinson in the back backfield back then. Um, we don't quite run the ball like that anymore. Um, but I feel like that's a fair, fair comparison uh, going into the future. Just kind of wondering what you're what your taking well, my, on that. My only response, and Don was coaching back in 2009. Uh, my only response to 2009, the comparison, a couple things. I think Cade went healthy is much more mobile than Stanzi. Stanzi was pretty immobile. If you go back and watch, I mean, he could he could scramble for some yards, but he was a pocket he was a pocket guy, as is Cade. But right now we're we're not seeing a healthy Cade. I, I mean, I Don, how many times did we see Cade up under center yesterday? I'm not sure. Not many. Don't Probably you think, count them on one hand? I bet. Don't you think that's partially because of the quad? Maybe. I don't know, but it's conceivable. So I guess my point is, uh, if he gets healthy, I think he could. I've compared him more, Nile. Not saying you're wrong, but I compared him more to maybe a Jake Rudock, given Jake's ability to scramble if necessary. And I, you know, some people didn't like those teams. I don't think the team around Jake Rudock in like 2013, 2014 was great, Don. But I liked Jake Rudock, and then he went to Michigan and had a really good year at Michigan. So I think maybe he was a little underrated, and obviously that was a better team in 15 when CJ took over. But I've always compared Cade to, to him. Don, do you see any similarities between Jake and, and Cade? You know, I just haven't seen enough of Rudolph to know. I'll tell you the guy that, that yeah. Cade reminds me a lot of. He also wore number 12. And you'd have to be a good Iowa fan to remember him because it's way back in time. But Chuck Hartley had a brother named Jim Hartley. And here's the rest of the story about Jim Hartley. He played behind a two-time first-team All-Big Ten quarterback in Matt Rogers. But Jim's senior year, he was only one year behind Matt. He was leading the nation in pass efficiency when he was injured over at Illinois. Uh, and Jim Hartley was a very, very bright quarterback that did have good maneuverability. There was actually built a lot like Cade. Uh, Jim could pull the ball down and run it when necessary. Uh, he didn't have a cannon for an arm, but he threw the ball with great accuracy. And equally important, he was really able to process quickly and know where the ball should go. I give Cade credit for all those same things. Uh, incidentally, Jim was a great leader. I think Cade's a great leader. So, you know, you can win with guys like Jim Hartley and Cade McNamara. So I'm excited about where Cade might take the offense as the season plays out because I think he's an ideal guy to be in charge. He wasn't nervous playing in front of – 60,000 in Ames because he's played in front of all kinds of crowds. Not that big a deal. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's cool to see uh, the portal kind of in action here. Um, you know, we, we take someone in uh, just to see how much things will actually change when we get a new guy under center. Um, we're not, I mean, we scored more points than we did last year, uh, but it seems uh like things haven't really changed all that much. And uh, yesterday you were talking about uh, kind of the wide receiver woes we had during that game. Um, but I, I'd like to make a point there. We have two very viable tight ends that are going to do a lot of work for us. Um, and, you know, we'd like to see the wide receivers get more involved. Um, but if that's where we're going to lean and that's where we're going to be strong, um, I feel like that's definitely a strength for us. I think where it's going to hurt us is going to be in the future, trying to get people to come in and play wide receiver at the University of Iowa. Yeah, the the only thing I'd say on that is uh, you're you're absolutely right. I think this tandem is as as good as it gets. 
um, and, and potentially right up there with the Fant Hawkinson tandem. We'll see. There's a lot to prove there still, but um, for this offense to take the next step, they, they got to be better at receiver. They got to get more production out of their receivers. We've been saying that for a long time, Don. Here's the deal. Let's not forget, and I'm not saying you're you're arguing this now, but they were really good at tight end last year. I mean, really good. Sam Laporta was Sam Laporta is playing on Sunday. Well, Thursdays. He's playing on Thursdays and Sundays now. Uh, caught five balls in his first game as a rookie with the Lions. And Luke Lachey is better this year, but Luke Lachey was the backup last year. So they were really right. good at tight end, and yet their offense was absolutely abysmal. So don't you have to be able to get those receivers? I mean, Niall's right. It's going to hurt you in recruiting if you can't demonstrate that Caleb Brown can be a part. If you have an athlete like Caleb Brown and he's just non-existent, it's going to hurt you on the recruiting trail as it should. Don't you got to get those guys involved more, though, too, just from a production standpoint? No doubt about it. I'll say it this way, Corey. If you're not productive at at least four out of five receiver positions, and when I say four out of five, let's just imagine one-back offense. Of course, we're I guess you'd say we're primarily a one-back offense. We don't have a fullback out there a lot of the time. So for us, the other four receivers, I'm not counting the back, of course, would be two wideouts, two tight ends, or maybe three wideouts, one tight end. Those four positions, let me say it this way, if the yardage production is at Y at the tight end position but not at the wideout positions, that's a problem. That's a severe problem because over a period of time, of course, people will realize we got to defend against inside throws to tight ends, but we can we can play single coverage outside all day long because they don't throw out there anyway. So you got to get more productivity out of those wideouts and some of that burden goes to the wide receivers because you've got to do a great job of running your route. You've got to do a great job of separating from the defender, not to mention you got to catch it. Uh, so it's on you. But the burden also is on the coaches because just as you game plan to get the ball to your tight ends, and we do a pretty darn good job of that, we're not as good. We don't have as much imagination right now in finding new and unique ways to get the ball to the wide receivers. So you need to get them involved too. Uh, here's a good sign, maybe. I know the fans are still complaining. Caleb Brown's played two games, hadn't caught a pass yet. Down on the goal line, before we kicked our first field goal, guess where that ball went to? I believe it was on third down. I'll look and be sure be sure what I'm saying. Probably. Him. Yep. Third and one, we're on the 10-yard line. The throw to the front pylon was intended for Caleb Brown. Yeah. That's the ball that didn't get out there because it was batted down. Remember that play? Yeah. That's why people don't – I don't even know if he got credited as a target there because the ball was batted down by the front. But that ball was being thrown at what we would call a fade stop. You know, he showed as if he might be going to the back pylon, pulling his brakes to come to the front pylon. Incidentally, the route wasn't very good. But the ball was going to go to that front pylon because um, the flight of the ball was going to be there. I, don't, I, don't, I suspect it would not have been completed because we simply didn't have a lot of breathing room away from that defender. The defender was close by two because it was not a great route by Caleb Brown. Now, I'm not beating up on Caleb Brown. I'm simply making the point. We're trying to get the ball to Caleb Brown, maybe more than fans realize. That's a prime example. That's very early in the game when we try to do that. Nobody even realized it was thrown. It was intended to go his way because it got batted down at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, uh, we also threw a, a, more a things, go uh, to Caleb Brown too, right? Late in the game. Yeah, uh, but, but a couple more things, uh, Coach Patterson. Um, so, 
with an offensive line that is struggling to run block, would you like to see Jazz get some more touches, someone that's more north and south? Um, just because, I mean, he's going to try and get those uh, positive yards a little bit faster, it seems like. Uh, would that be better for us? You know, I can see where you say that. Now, I'll remind uh, – I don't know now if you heard the show a week ago, but I mentioned a week ago, even after the Utah State game, I made the comment to Corey. I said, I don't know for sure who our best running back is. Um, you've heard me describe uh, our starter as a glider, and I'm not trying to beat up on him. Eric Dickerson was a glider also, right? Uh, but yeah, the truth of it is – reminds me of Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, that's a guy I don't know so much about. I do remember Dickerson really well. Uh, so the good thing about number two, uh, if we can get him into the open field, he does have deceptive speed, right? He's a long strider. He's a tall guy. And he's covering ground a little faster than DB sometimes recognized. Just think back to last year. That's one reason he made some long, long runs over the course of the season. Uh, but the problem, of course, is getting him out into space. We're not very good at opening up a seam in the line of scrimmage that can get him down the field. Uh, and he's not a COD runner. By that, I mean, Niall, he, he doesn't really – change the direction is not a big part of what he does, right? He, he right. Uh, Basically, he starts down the field, and he might make a little bit of a move, but it's not a radical move. It's not, it's not a move that's designed to juke a guy out of his shoes, nothing like that. So um, the sharper cutter, the more elusive back, you might argue, is Jay-Z and Patterson, who maybe is a little more likely to change directions. The one thing I'm sure now you appreciate about Jay-Z, it seems like he always hits the line of scrimmage hard. You know, he's right. downhill. He's not. He proved he's not the fastest guy in the world on the 59-yard run. He got tracked down. But uh, I've said before on the air, if I had to choose between quick and fast, I might favor quick because quick happens on every play. Sometimes you never have a chance to transition into fast, you know what I'm saying, Niall? Uh, quickness is critical in football because it's all about short space quickness. Uh, and I think Jay Zian has uh, outstanding quickness. You know, he's really good at, at clearing the line of scrimmage and working his way into the secondary. And the jury's out on whether or not he's going to be able to hit a lot of home runs. You know, maybe he's, you could argue, he's more likely to get tracked down uh, than number two is. Uh, but I'm just not sure that. Uh, it's hard to say which one's best. You know, they both have different running styles. I think we have a real need for both of them, uh, in part because they have different styles. So if you imagine you're playing defense and you really don't want to have to keep track of who, which running back's in the game. And as a result of that, you might not realize which one's got the ball under his arm. You, know, you follow me? You know, maybe you think it's the guy that you're confident you can run down with this angle, and then the next thing you know, you underestimated Caleb's speed in, in working downfield. We saw that a year ago with Purdue. Uh, I'll admit Purdue's tacklers didn't seem to be very excited either. But we saw it in other games too. I can't remember when when Kate had some when um, um, when number two had some long runs, but there were there were several last year. I think when he did. Yeah. Um, so yeah, last thing I want to touch on before I get out of here is uh, looking ahead a couple of weeks to the Penn State game. Um, you know, that's to me, it feels like a, a catapult game. Uh, if we lose, you know, it's not the biggest deal in the world, but it could be one of those games uh, to where if we win, I mean, that could put us into some serious conversation. Um, 
but I was talking to my dad about it. And he's like, yeah, it just seems like one of those games that you, you get every so often where uh, you could really put yourself into some serious conversation if you go and, uh, and prove something. Uh, and I just want to get you guys' uh, take on that because it's it's our hardest game on the schedule and it's coming up quick. Um, and we <clears throat> haven't seen everything that we need to see for it. Um, but I don't have a terrible feeling about it, but I will say Penn State looks really good. Um, so, yeah, what do you guys think? They do look really good, no doubt about that. I said a week ago, though, and Corey remembers me saying it, uh, if you have to win only one of the two games that appear to be the most difficult on our schedule, I would favor beating Wisconsin in, in Madison over beating Penn State, simply because Wisconsin, of course, is a game involving a Western Division opponent. And if we end up that season tied up with, with Wisconsin, then the winner of that game will represent. Uh, so that's in that regard, it's bigger than one game. Uh, in other words, we could lose to Penn State and still turn around and win out in the West, and it really wouldn't matter what anybody else did because we would have beaten everyone in the West. Um, of course, we want to beat Penn State, but the good news, which will maybe take a little pressure off some of the younger players, yes, we want to beat them. We're going to game plan to beat them. Uh, we're going to take the field with the idea that we're going to find a way to beat them. The good news is it's not life and death. Because if, if we lose to an outstanding Penn State team, that's fine. All we got to do is rule the West. We rule the West and we're in. I'd rather lose to yeah. Penn State than Wisconsin. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, but I was watching the, uh, the Florida documentary. And uh, if there's a time to get creative, it's definitely going to be that game. And uh, there's something that Urban Meyer wrote on his clipboard. Um, he said, uh, let it effing go. And that's when he did kind of the crazy stuff he did during those games. And that's, I feel like we have kind of the opposite mentality where it's uh, kind of choke it until no one in the stadium can breathe. Uh, and that's just kind of the way we play. Uh, that might be a game where we might just have to say, after, you know, let's let's let it go. Let's try something new. Um, get those wide receivers involved. Um, you know, try something a little creative. But uh, it's definitely a game I'm looking forward to. So, Well, you're right about one thing. If we – if we think we can show up and play ultra conservative and beat Penn State, I think we're sadly mistaken. It's possible. You know, we beat them six to four one time there. And I don't doubt that our defense is going to always show up to play on any Saturday. But I will also grudgingly give credit to Penn State's offense. I think it's going to be a job to, to be able to handle them and, and uh, hold them down score wise. So, in that regard, we do need to be uh, aggressive with our play calling. You need to play to win, not play not to lose. And I've already mentioned, Corinne, I, I think you see the parallel. It appeared that that Iowa State thought that one way to beat Iowa is to play like Iowa, to play ultra-conservative and uh, not beat ourselves, as we say. And the only problem with that is uh, the long game they had for the entire day was a fourth and one pass for 16 yards. Otherwise, nothing longer than 15. Uh, yeah, they ended up with more yardage than us, but – I'll tell you one thing that's amazing about the game, Corey. If I'm not mistaken, they had 75 snaps on offense while we had 51. Imagine that. You know, you have that kind of edge on on offensive snaps and let you and yet you lose the game. And you might say, well, that's because they turned it over three times. No, they didn't. They turned it over once. So how in the world did they snap the ball 24 more times than us and still not beat us when turnovers were even? And the best reason I could cite for that is they didn't make any big plays. They moved the chains, but they didn't do a good job of getting in the end zone. That's why we won. 
Before we get to our caller who uh, is on the phone line, and we got Alex here on our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line in the stream yard. Developing story, Don, uh, that we need to address out of East Lansing. Okay. According to a report, Michigan State head coach Mel Tucker has been fired. Um, For this, what reason, I wonder? Well, there's a report right now, and I'm guessing you have not seen it because you've been on the road. Um, I will read verbatim the latest from um, ESPN because this is obviously related to Iowa. Keep in mind, Iowa plays Michigan State here in a couple of weeks. Um, but uh, an unfortunate situation right now regarding Mel Tucker. Let me read the latest. And ESPN right now is reporting that uh, they have confirmed that he's been suspended. There was an earlier report that he is being let go, but uh, it's been confirmed that he's been suspended without pay. The university is completing an investigation into claims that he sexually harassed a prominent sexual assault awareness speaker after she was hired to address the Spartan team. Athletic Director Alan Haller announced Tucker's interim suspension Sunday night, less than 24 hours after news of the claims against the fourth-year head coach was made public in reports from ESPN and USA Today. Interim University President Teresa Woodruff appeared alongside Haller at a news conference and said she fully supported the decision. The university's objectives have been to remain focused on conducting a fair, thorough, and unbiased investigation and allowing the process to play out. Brenda Tracy, who operates a nonprofit company that tries to raise awareness about sexual misconduct, especially among college athletes, told university investigators that Tucker sent her gifts, asked if she would date him if he wasn't married and, and masturbated while on the phone with her without her consent, according to the details reported by USA Today on Sunday. Tucker told investigators he took part in the behavior, but that it was consensual. Um, we'll, we'll stop there. Then there's more, obviously, in the allegations, but... Uh, wow. Unfortunate. I don't know uh, what to say other than the investigation's underway, and regardless of what's true and what's not true, the situation's unfortunate. Um, and there was something wrong, Corey. He has a contract that's lengthy and is to the tune of what a hundred million dollars or something. Yeah, but a if they can of, fire him, but if they can fire him with cause, and I, I presume that would be with cause. Absolutely. That's based yeah. on what I've read. Yes. Um, he's got $77 million left on that contract. Um, and uh, again, this, the, the report from ESPN, this is an article written by Dan Murphy, is that a formal, formal decision on Tucker's job status isn't expected to be decided until the hearing concludes. But again, this was Brett McMurphy reported this earlier in the day that Michigan State head coach Mel Tucker um, has been fired. So uh, kind of mixed reports right now. The bottom line is some very serious allegations here. And... Uh, Anyways, very very relevant to our conversation. Iowa plays Michigan State here in a few weeks. Yeah. Um, they're the second Big Ten game on the schedule, Don. So, I might have told you, Corey, one time. I actually interviewed Mel Tucker when I was at Western Illinois for the defensive coordinator position. He was a young guy at the time back, I don't recall the year, maybe 2005, something like that. Maybe as much as 20 years ago. I can't recall. But I do remember this vividly. I let him know. I said, Mel, I'm not going to hire you, but you have been impressive on this interview. I'm simply not going to hire you because you don't have any experience as a coordinator of another guy with great experience that also interviewed very well. But it's hard for me to imagine that you're not going to go on and have a great career. And up until now, he had done that. 
Uh, it sounds like it might all go down the, go down the drain in a short amount of time. Very unfortunate situation. So we'll continue to follow that storyline. And it's yet another, yet another scandal in the Big Ten Conference. Yeah. Way too many in this conference uh, this century. Uh, let's go to our next caller on our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line. Thank you for calling Iowa Post Game with Coach Don Patterson. Who's on the line? Oh, hey, Corey. It's uh, Robert from uh, Colorado. Hey, Robert. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Not too bad. Hey, um, and uh, hey, Coach Patterson. Um, Corey, I just Robert, how are you? About the, uh, hey, how are you doing? The, the Hawkeyes season, I wanted to ask uh, Coach Patterson a question from the Hawkeyes back in the 80s. Um, so I don't, I don't remember if it was you, Corey, I was listening to or another Hawkeye podcast, forgive me, but I think making the case to potentially rest Cade against Western Michigan. And I just wanted to say, I don't think that's a wise idea. I mean, unless he's in like real jeopardy of further injuring him. So, I mean, beyond what he was yesterday, because I just think they need to develop that timing right, of hitting some of those passes, especially between he and the wide receivers. It's evident that it seems like they don't have that down yet, and maybe that's some lack of practice time or what have you. But I'm just curious to get yours and the uh, the coach's thought on that. Well, I'll let Don comment on that first, and then I can provide my thoughts, Don. You want me to comment first? Yes, please. We had a discussion, Corey, as you know, today about that, you and I. Uh, and it really is – Worth considering, I think. The problem we have, we don't have all the facts. We don't know exactly to what extent the injury is. We don't know, as an example, if eight days of nothing but rest would make much of a difference or not. Those are questions for the medical experts, of course. But I made the comment to you today, Corey, and I'll share it with the listeners now. I did mention that's something that's very definitely worth considering. And the reason I say that, the problem with saying, well, why don't we – why don't we ease him along this next week and make a game-time decision as to whether or not he can play? Because if we decide to hold him out of the game, then he'll be ready to go for Penn State. The only problem with that is you would have taken away those eight days of rest that he might get between today and next Sunday. And in that regard, uh, if you're going to do it, you need to do it now and, and, and shut him down for an extended period of time. And the thing we don't know, of course, is if eight days will make a difference or not. I, I think it's entirely possible that it would make a difference. On the other hand, maybe the doctors would say, no, it won't make any difference. So we don't have all the facts, so we don't know what might be best. But it is worth considering for another reason, and that would simply be we would be forced into the, getting our other quarterbacks a little bit of experience. And, of course, right now they have next to no experience in a game of any type. And that's a scary proposition if if Kate is less than 100% from this point forward. And if he's less than 100%, then logically you might think he's a little more suspect to injury going forward. We hate to admit that, but that only makes sense. Uh, so it's a hard decision and a decision that no one could make without all the facts. And the good news, I'm confident, is that Kirk will have all the facts. And Kirk will make the right decision. Um I don't know what's going to happen this next week. Kirk may not even want to tell the media. He may he may simply rule Kate out on Saturday. Uh, but if he is ruled out on Saturday, I would hope that it would include no practice whatsoever this week. Uh, to either, practice something. either do it or don't. <laughs> either do it or don't, yeah. 
Exactly. Uh, to to work him out during the week and hold him out on Saturday, that's not much benefit. Doesn't make any because sense. Logically, logically, he does need to practice the week that we play Penn State. So the only way to get him guaranteed getting him getting him rest would be to rest him over these next eight days. Now, to Robert's point, and I've heard other people. Robert's not the only one who brought this up, but the fear from some people, including Robert, is that you know Cade missed time in the latter part part of fall camp. Seth missed time during spring ball. Caleb Brown wasn't here during spring ball. Right. We don't want to just shut Cade down. He needs to gain rhythm and chemistry and camaraderie with these guys in the football field. My feeling on that, and I'm no former quarterback, you coach quarterbacks, so you'd be able to tell us better, Don, but my feeling on that is, yes, I agree, he needs it, but I think he's hampered right now. And I would rather a healthy Cade. If, if, if we think that shutting him down for eight to 10 days is going to get him healthy, and that quad's going to be almost 100% by the time we hit Penn State, I'm doing that, and I'll I'll, I'll take the the um whatever you call it, whatever you want to call it the uh, the steps involved in gaining chemistry throughout the rest of the Big 10 season even though that may there may be some hurdles there there may be some mounds to cross over i'll take that if i have a healthy cade what i don't want is okay i got chemistry but cade is so limited that we can't get him up under center we can't roll him out we can't use a quarterback sneak he can't scramble when necessary that's what i don't want so that's what i would prioritize Let's not forget another argument for giving him recovery and allowing him to be 100%, even though he missed Western Michigan, would be he would be less susceptible to injury against Penn State. That's another argument for shutting him down for a few days. Um, it's hard to know. We don't have all the facts, so there's no way to know what might be best. But it is uh, interesting to consider um, consider all the facts and making that decision. I'm sure Kurt will, will consider all the facts. And, and Coach, does, well, Kirk, does he override even uh, – Kate obviously wants to play, right? But he'll ultimately make that decision regardless of what Kate wants to do, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Kate is, is not the head coach. So he'll, he'll yeah. need to live with Kirk's decision, whatever it might be. Okay. And, well, thanks, guys. That was, that was really good. and brought up some good points there. Appreciate it. Um, coach, I was wondering – I've been dying to ask you. I, I'm uh, – I grew up in Iowa in the 80s and was a huge Hawkeye football fan, right? Kind of the glory years, Coach Fry and, and yourself and others. I'm curious to get um, your perspective. I, I watched some of the uh, old games on, on YouTube and such over uh, over the summer because I'm a dork. I, I wonder, my contention in watching the games is I think the 83 team was better than the 85 Rose Bowl team on, on whole, right? You take – the offensive line, you had Ronnie Harmon at wide receiver. He was more dynamic there. I mean, he's dynamic at running back as well, but uh, at wide out, Dave Moritz, you know, John Alt, uh, along with the offensive lineman. And I, I just, I'm curious your perspective. I've been dying to ask you that question. Yeah, it's a tough call. Uh, I, I do believe that the 83 team might have put up better numbers on offense than the 85 team even. I think the difference might be that I think they averaged what 475 to 500 yards a game. We had a very good offense in 83. Yeah. Now we had a really good offense in 85 too. You don't have a runner up for the Heisman without a great offense, of course, right. as your quarterback. But I, I do believe if you wanted to compare the two defenses, I believe the 85 defense might've had a slight edge. Uh, and yeah. maybe that's why 
that's why maybe the 85 team became a number one ranked team, as you know. The 83 team wasn't able to get that done, even though it was absolutely an outstanding offense uh, and a really solid defense, too. Um, yeah. Trying to think of who we lost to in 83. Maybe you can tell me. I, I don't know. I, I um, So I think we lost to, what, Illinois that year who went on to the Rose Bowl, and I, I think they just – we didn't play well that day. And, and lost to Michigan. I think – was it Norm Granger who fumbled late in that game? I think Iowa was – that flashing back on that Illinois game, Illinois beat us convincingly. That was an outstanding yeah. Illinois team, one of the best defenses in the Big Ten ever. Um, yeah. Incidentally, yeah. about half the team came from California junior colleges. Uh, that was Mike White's day, as I recall. You went on to lose to UCLA, if I remember right, in the Rose Bowl that year, I believe. Um, yeah. But um, okay, I, here's yeah. what I do remember: we should have been playing in the Fiesta Bowl that year. Except um, back in those days, there weren't very many bowl games. And the Fiesta Bowl, in the end, picked Ohio State over us. I think we had even beaten Ohio State in 83. Uh, or maybe we just simply had a better record than Ohio State. But Ohio's got more TV sets than, than Iowa does. And um, the funny part of that, I'll give you a little quick story that you might not be aware of. That same year, we thought we were going to play in the Fiesta Bowl. When that fell through, we then thought we were going to play in the Cotton Bowl. Back then, the Cotton Bowl was a big bowl. And the only problem with that, University of Texas was already in the Cotton Bowl that year. And Fred Akers said, we're not going to play Iowa. And what people would find hard to believe is if you're the head coach of University of Texas, you might be able to dictate who the Cotton Bowl takes as your opponent. So long story short, they did have a chance to win the national title that year. They wanted Georgia over us. They got Georgia. And they muffed a punt on about the minus 10. And Georgia had a 10-yard scoring drive for the winning points to beat Texas in the Cotton Bowl that year. Here's the rest of the story. One year later, you might recall, we got to play Texas in a bowl game. And the final score was 55-17. And I think you know who had 55. So yeah. it turns out Fred Akers was right. He did not want to play Iowa. And I'll tell you fundamentally why. They were a big, big man team. And we had so many ways of beating man coverage that no one could defend them all. And sure enough, we proved against Texas one year later that we had more man beaters than they had man defenders, that's for sure. Well, thanks, Coach. I appreciate that. I, I've, I've been wanting to uh, get your thoughts on that, and uh, I really appreciate the, the – You're right about one thing. 83 was an nice team. The higher-ranked team was 85. Uh, of course, 85 was a Rose Bowl team. I guess for those reasons, people tend to think that 85 was a better team than 83, but it would be a coin toss because they were both outstanding. Yep, yep, absolutely. Well, thanks, guys, and have a good evening. I'm going to go watch the Cowboys beat the Giants. Sounds good, sir. Thank you. We timed this show for that reason. We knew people were going to want to watch NFL Sunday Night Football in the first week, full week of NFL competition. Brian has a super chat here. says, Coach, is there any reason other than Cade's mobility that would stop us from running the offense we used for Drew Tate when Sam Brownlee was running back? Um, I'm at a disadvantage because I didn't see many of those games. I was working at the time. And I was like six years old, so... <laughs> I can't. I, I mean, watching cartoons during the game. Yeah, exactly. I was watching Sesame Street when the game was going. So um, I wish I had an answer for, for Brian. I do appreciate the super chat. But obviously that 2002 offense, I'll, I'll say this. I'm assuming that'd be 2002. Where, yeah, that was – no, Drew Tate. I'm sorry. Drew Tate. I'm, I'm thinking Brad Banks. So Drew Tate, that would have been uh, – let's see, that the, the Sam Brownlee year was what, 04? 
I believe. Not sure. Um, so, but anyways, um, yeah, th- that was a, a those offenses back then. Those offenses back then were decent, Don. They were they were they were decent. Two thousand two was really good. Well, my recollection about Drew Tate is he was not afraid to run the football. No, he wasn't. A few, time, a few times he was designated as the runner by play call. Other times he just decided he was the runner. Yeah, those are the glory days with Ken O'Keefe. He, he had some. He had some decent. Hit some good offensive players in that system and and uh, utilized them. I mean, some good skill position players. Don. I mean, I was yeah. struggled to consistently churn out good skill position talent. But you think about the guys in the first half of the century that Iowa had Clinton Solomon and Sam Brownlee, Brad Banks, Drew Tate, um, you know, obviously Marvin McNutt, DJK kind of came at the end as well. Um, it was just an interesting time. John, Sean Green in 08. Yeah. Um, so anyways, appreciate the super chat, Brian and super chat here from Erica. I think we should put in Labus and Deacon for the next game with the caveat that if they both play poorly, Kate is suited up and can be put in if needed. Um, yeah, I mean, he's going to be suited up, but he'll be suited up if he doesn't play. Right, Don? Yeah, I would think so. Um, I made the comment yesterday on the show that I would probably feel more as of right now, I'd feel more comfortable with, with Joe Labus because we've seen him in a game and, and play it, start an entire game. You know, he, he won that game again against Kentucky. We have not seen Deacon Hill, um, in a game setting right. other than a few snaps against Utah state. If you're Kirk Ferentz, and I know you're not there every day, do you give all three guys some time on Saturday? And I'm talking not only Joe Labus, Deacon Hill, but also Marco Linez, who did travel to Ames on Saturday. It's difficult to get three quarterbacks in any game. Uh, that would suggest we're you know up by 35 at the half or something. Um, and maybe we will be. I know that. Um, help me out here, Corey. What was the score against Syracuse? I'm not sure, but I know it was one-sided. <laughs> I think it was 48 to 7. <laughs> 48 to 7? 48 to 7. Well, let's hope that we have the m- mindset that we're going to start fast. We're going to remove any doubt about who's going to win the game in the first half, and then that'll give us a chance to maybe clear the bench by the time the game's over. Um, that's wishful thinking, of course. We might not be able to do that, but that would be a good goal for Saturday. Wouldn't it be nice? I mean, Syracuse is not this powerhouse program. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to send Iowa out there and build a, well, let's see, they won by 41, build a 30-point lead and say to Marco, here's the keys to the castle, and just right. see, we'll see what the true freshman can do. And he'll make mistakes, but you're up 40. It doesn't matter. Right. Up 30, whatever it is. And you're still going to call plays that you know that Marco can run. Sure. You know, you're not going to try to sabotage. You're going to give him the best chance to have a positive day too. Absolutely. All right. Let's go to our Iowa Smokehouse call in line. Alex is on the phone. Alex, welcome back. How's it going, gentlemen? How are you this Sunday? I love your background because it makes the Brian Ferentz points per game tracker really. <laughs> I, I do what I can for the show. No, uh, <laughs> I did actually call in Saturday, but I was actually at my own bachelor party. I'm like, I probably shouldn't call in with the people I was around and I didn't want to be banned uh, for calling in. So we appreciate that. I have a question, Alex. If you were at your bachelor party, I'm hoping you're not missing the wedding right now to talk to us. No, 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 no. The month, the wedding's a month away. Uh, okay. So, so yeah, no, I was at least smart about that. Um, now, so, did you make an agreement with the the future misses that uh, you will you will be you'll still be even though you're loyal to her, you'll still be loyal to this show? Yes. Does she know <laughs> so, about the show? 
Uh, well, the the wedding's on October sixth, which is a Friday. So, and then the Saturday uh, will be actually pr- in California for our honeymoon. So, I may, I game? may. Who do they play that week? That Purdue, be- maybe. Is it Purdue? Could be Purdue. Yeah. So maybe it's Purdue. Okay. So, so I may miss one call-in show. I may, I may send a couple chats just to let you know I'm still watching, but. Um, going, uh, obviously going back to with the Saturday, I, um, uh, Kurt has said this, Don has said this, usually you see the most improvements week one from week two. And I think we did see that past production looked a lot better. Uh, I think maybe the, the I think they registered one sack, maybe two at most, a couple QB right. hurries. So I think the line, you know, we saw that against Utah state, uh, but Utah state is obviously a Mount West team group of five team. Iowa state's got to, you know, granted they did lose a few people on, um, on their team for the gambling and everything like that, but the defense is still pretty solid. So I think that was good to see. I was offensive line protect Cade uh, as well as they did. Uh, I thought I did see a, a, the run blocking improve improve slightly. Um, and maybe a question for you, Don. A couple questions regarding the offense um, with Cade's limitations due to an injury. And this is not trying to be a Brian apologist or anything like that, but does that limit your playbook? Because he can't roll out, he can't, you know, play action pass. You know, he's obviously ha- he has to be mobile doing that. So does that limit your playbook? So, so some people may complain about the play calling, but if it's like because Cade can't move move the pocket or roll out or do a bootleg because of his injury, your playbook is now just essentially shrunken down. Well, even just factoring in drawback passes, there are a ton of different different plays you can run from a wide variety of formations, of course. So we could expand the playbook, even if we were only going to sit him in the gun and let him throw from a rocking chair all day long. So there's a ton of different formations you could use. And of course, when you factor in motion and, and different concepts, you can come up with a lot of plays that you certainly haven't seen us run yet this year. So there's all kinds of opportunities in terms of expanding it, even without risking his health, you know, just to leave him standing there in the pocket. Uh, it does eliminate certain aspects of the offense, what we call movement passes, you know, where you're you're faking left and rolling right or vice versa, you know, uh, what we call nakeds. Sometimes they're naked, sometimes they're not. Naked simply means you're not going to block the guy on the edge of the, edge of the formation, and you're simply going to rely on juking him uh, with the misdirection. Um so we can still have a, a more diverse offense and still not jeopardize his health at all and, and simply go into the game with the understanding we're going to leave you in the pocket. We're not going to move you around a lot. You're going to throw from primarily from one location. That's not an ideal way to play, but if you're playing a Western Michigan defense that gave up 48 last week, I think it would be okay to do that. Yeah. Um, and then the next question along with the offense is um, – and I – said this uh, after the Utah State game. Uh, we only saw Jazz Patterson uh, a few times during that Utah State game, and when we did see him, he looked pretty impressive, not only when he caught the ball or when he had the ball in his hands, but he wasn't afraid to stick his nose in there and block block defenders. I mean, we saw it perfectly this game, and I think – and then we saw the 59-yard run that he had. Do you think he? we see him a little more in Western Michigan? I Maybe not be the, the number one tailback, but – you know, maybe you see him just a touch more, getting a few more carries. I didn't see any screen passes go his way, if if remember if I remember correctly. But I think 
you know, that's where he could be maybe not quite to an act and wadley type. Cause he's so young. Maybe he can develop into that where when, um, uh, Oh crap. Stanley would, you know, that Michigan game where that was what that he was our offense. Act and wadley was our offense, a little screen pass to act and wadley. And he would go, you know, 59 yards and act and wadley, you know, kind of tying it to the Iowa state. He's the one caught the ball from out of the backfield and just broke, you know, I don't know how many tackles, and fought for that end zone. That's what I see a little bit in Jace, uh, Jazz Patterson is that that drive to get there and just he's not afraid to stick his nose into you know to block a guy. He's not afraid of contact. So do well, so both of you. Do you think we see a little more of Jazz against Western Michigan? Not maybe may, early on in the game to say is more of a feature back rather than okay, hey, we're up thirty, we're gonna throw in some guys just for playing time. Go ahead, go ahead. I just say something real quick before, and then Don, you can address that. Uh, I had somebody say that to me yesterday, bring up the Akram Wadley comparison. And I, I'll just be frank. I don't agree with that comparison whatsoever because Akram Wadley didn't run between the tackles effectively. He was well, not I'm talking more for like screen passes. That's, that's what I'm referring to. The catching of the okay. of balls. Yeah. Not, not necessarily rack Wadley as a running back, but a running back who can catch the ball uh, in screen passes or anything like that. That's what I'm making the comparison to. Okay. Yeah, that could be so. I, I, someone else yesterday compared him to Akram, and I just, I, I think they're totally different backs from the perspective of Jazz has an opportunity to be a complete back, whereas Akram was never going to be a complete back at 185 pounds. And that's just, I mean, Don, is that fair? He wasn't going to be able to, he was not going to become a dominant between the tackles guy. Honestly, kind of like Tyler Goodson was never going to be a dominant between the tackles guy. He was better between the tackles, he was better through contact. But Akram Wadley wasn't a physical guy. You needed to get him out in space to be effective. And I would yeah, neither one of those, even though they were good backs, neither one of them had a lot of yards after contact. Correct. They said they weren't big and strong enough to, to and, gain a lot Jazz, of yards after contact. Jazz is not huge, and he'll get bigger. But he has got a gear. And I think to Alex's point, he's maybe he doesn't have the breakaway speed, but he does have that gear in the open field to go along with his ability to lower his shoulder pads and and he seems to invite contact. I, I saw that uh, a couple people have tweeted some clips of him in run blocking, or excuse me, in pass blocking blitz pickups yesterday, Don. Do you want to comment on that as well? How about, yeah. How often do you see one back take down two guys? Yeah. With the guy, I, I like that, you know, do you think we see a little more of him, you know, going forward as long as he continues to show, to impress, I would say. I would expect so, yes. Right now, I suspect they would be – one uh, A and one B. Uh, I think, I think maybe it wouldn't surprise me at all if he got as many carries or more than Caleb next Saturday. He went too far behind. He's, it just seems like he has the yips almost, where he just doesn't seem like he's in the hole hard enough. That's just not my observation. Well, he doesn't really. He like I said before, he doesn't really. He kind of like I keep going back to the term that you you used on the glider term, but. We need to come up with a better way to describe what we mean by that, what you mean by that, because he kind of, uh, you know, as opposed to maybe pop, pop into a, a, a spot, he's kind of just, he's kind of slithering to his spots. Does that make sense? Kind of weaving his way downfield a little bit. Weaving his way downfield, as opposed to maybe zigzagging, like, yeah. you know, maybe as Jazz Patterson, they can make those sharp cuts. Yeah, Maybe that may, doesn't make sense, but that's how I describe it. You know, Alex, one other thing you brought up, if you want to go talking about targets, right now I guarantee you we've targeted our tight ends more than the average team over the first two games. 
we've targeted our receivers less, but we've also targeted our backs less. If you go back and look, we haven't targeted our backs much at all in yeah. the first two games. And I realize sometimes we're just laying it off to them. They were the third or fourth option on a pass, particular pass play. Um, but when I say targeting, you see some teams that will just routinely swing the ball to the, to the back, throw it to him, and maybe if they're regular as man coverage, they're going to crack on the linebacker that's manned up on the back, and now the race is on. It's another way to get the ball downfield is to throw the ball behind the line to a back that knows he's going to get it. He's not a layoff option. He's actually the primary receiver. Same way with screen passes. Yeah. One more question on the offense and maybe a couple on the defense. Uh, so one thing I've noticed in the last two games is that when I was faced with a third and short, maybe even a fourth and short, uh, we have not ran a QB sneak. Now, obviously, that's with due to Kate's health and everything like that. Um, but the question is, is has it ever been – maybe you can answer this, Coach, uh, maybe have a better insight on this, is obviously no QB sneaks. We don't want to get hurt Kate any more than what he is. Has it been a thought of, like, should we put in – Deacon Hill, because I remember seeing him against Utah State, and the guy <laughs> Deacon Hill looks like a linebacker. I mean, the guy's big. No, he doesn't. Where, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He looks like an offensive lineman. We, regardless, he's a big boy. You know, Maria, so, you so, so, it, it, would it be an idea of like, okay, Deacon, it's it's four, it three three, it's third and like an inch. Go go get us that extra inch and just set, you know have. By the way, Hayden Large for the fullback. I know he's a converted tight end to fullback. It's a great. Great football name, but you know, have Hayden Large just push push him for that extra, you know, couple inches. You know, has that ever been a thought to where we're like, okay, hey, we need, just need a, an inch or two, throw in Deacon just to get it, and then pull him back out to put in Cade, or is it just like we don't want to do that because it kind of shows our hand a little bit? Well, Don wants me to comment on Deacon Hill because you know how I feel about Deacon Hill, Alex. I have nothing against him. He seems to be a cool young man. Uh, he, he's kind of an interesting personality at media day, but he, but he, I go back to the weight thing. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong on this, Don, but if you start scheming because he's overweight and, and I'm going to use the term overweight because I don't know how, like he's not Lorenz and he's not Jamarcus Russell. He's not big Ben Roethlisberger. I don't think being 258 pounds at this level at this point in time in college football is a good thing as a quarterback. Um, maybe you can tell me I'm wrong, but if it's not the good thing, then I'm not going to scheme for a weakness with one of my players. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell Deacon, Hey, uh, we're going to keep working you, but we need you to do everything you can on a week to week basis to get your weight down. And I know that's difficult during the season. Honestly, that should have been done during the summer. I'm not sure why it wasn't. Um, he does not look lighter than he did in the spring to me. I was at the game on, on Saturday and my reaction when I saw him was, I mean, the dude's big. He's big. He does not look like a quarterback. And so anyways. From your point, he doesn't look like a linebacker either. No, 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 no. He, he, he does not look like Jay Higgins or Nick Jackson. No, he, he does not. Um, and, you know, again, it's nothing personal. It's just you got to get your weight in the right spot, and I don't know that it is right now, Don. Your thoughts on that situation, what Alex is saying? I mean, I'm not against using well, he was in Wisconsin, so he maybe ate a little too much cheese while he was up there. He's got a bit of a gut on him. <laughs> I the thing is, I'm not against him being run with a QB sneak. Maybe that would work, but is that even, you know, you're giving away what you're doing if you bring him in, Don? Yeah, I don't think you're going to see that, Alex. I know that 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 line of questioning makes some sense. 
but just talking about player weight, I used to always refer to a player's playing weight as his fighting weight. And the example I would give, if just imagine if you're a, a wrestler, and let's say you're a heavyweight I wrestler. So I know all about this. So yeah. Yeah. You know, the point is you're going to be at, at your fighting weight. You're going to be at the best possible weight for you to do your job. And I use the example of Marv Cook. Marv was a uh, first team all-conference player as a junior. And in spring of his junior year, after his junior season in the spring before his senior year, we were in spring ball. And I asked Marv one day, I said, Marv, how do you feel about your first scrimmage? And he said, I don't know, coach. I felt a little bit sluggish. And I said, I said, good. I'm glad you feel that way because I felt that way too in watching you. And let's do this. Let's just trim back down to where you were last fall because we know you can play really well at 240. Maybe 245 is not the answer right now. We're just talking about five pounds. But the point is you get to the nearest pound of what's best for you, and that's the weight that you play at. As you know, Alex, a, a wrestler in the Iowa wrestling program, he has to make weight, of course, but he knows what his best weight is. And he knows to the pound what his best weight is. And if it's not functional weight, then you don't carry it. Uh, so I would suggest that in my mind, I don't know Deacon that well, but I would suspect he'd be a, a little better able to do his job if he was at a slightly less weight or maybe more than slightly. Uh, I don't know what his, his fighting weight would be, but he should have an idea of what it is. And um, I would suspect he's something less than what he is right now. That may sound cruel, but I'm just being honest. Well, uh, you're you're bringing you, you're uh, making me uh, flashbacks of hor of the horrible times of when I had to cut weight for wrestling. I was never wrestled in, in college, but in high school, it was kind of the same concept. But switching over, maybe one and one question on the defense. So we saw Deshaun Lee, Jamari Harris will be back for Western Michigan, um, and we have seen Utah State and Iowa State kind of neutralize our defensive line in a way by doing these quick little passes. Right. And kind of having some success uh, with that. Obviously not getting the big chunk plays. And I don't know if you guys re-watched the game on when it was on FS1 or Fox, oh, it was on Fox, where when Iowa State was driving down to get that last touchdown, one of the commentators said, well, Iowa State needs to, you know, get the big plays. And one of them says, where? You know, where's that big play? Which is, I think, a testament to Iowa's defense. And you saw that, and they were commenting on the times like, they are in basically every down, like, hey, they're wasting a lot of time. But but do you think that maybe we see Deshaun Lee a little more with Jamari Harris with all these cornerbacks because of the fact of I think teams have kind of figured out, like, hey, this Iowa's defensive line is really good. Do we incorporate more quick passes? And maybe Iowa says, okay, you're going to do that. We're going to put more guys in coverage so that way, you know, those quick passes are taken away. I mean, we saw with what happened with uh, – uh, Sebastian Castro, they read that out route from to the halfback, and he obviously took it to the house. So would it be – now, who do we replace, you know, who does Devontae Lee replace on the defense if we do make that happen? So out of – obviously, it's a two-game sample size. Do, is it something that is worth maybe thinking about? I'm not, I'm not sure I understand where you would think about playing them both if they were both on the field at once. Well, just having more cornerbacks on the field because of these quick little pa out pa or quick little passes that we're asking the linebackers, Nick Jackson, Kyle Fisher, um, oh God, I'm blanking on that, Jay Higgins, uh, asking to cover some of these wide receivers. Do we add an extra cornerback out there, maybe replace one of the linebackers, uh, so that way we have That's more it. cornerbacks out on the field? Well, you might have noticed our, our prevent defense, if you will, is two man. That's our basic coverage. 
So we are going to put as many as six defensive backs out there at one time uh, and play with four down guys and one linebacker in the box. We, we call that dime defense, right? We call that a dime. Correct. Correct. Okay. Nickel defense meaning five DBs and dime, of course, is six. Yeah, I just didn't know maybe if we see that a little more when we get Jamari Hurst back next week. Um, obviously, yeah, we'll- Let me give you a simple example. Anytime it's third and long, maybe we decide that's a good defense for us in general. If we're not really worried about the, the run, let's go with the light box. Maybe the quarterback's not much of a runner. And let's play five under man. And it's kind of hard to imagine that we can't get home with our pass rush, assuming that nobody is available as a quick throw. And that's the beauty of two man, of course. You're manned up underneath. You still got security over the top with two safeties. It's a good way to play defense at the end of the game. We've done it the last two weeks. Yeah. And it's worked well for us. All right. And then I'll, I'll say the last couple of things and I'll get off and let someone else answer. Uh, so, uh, first, thanks again for taking my call. Uh, first thing, um, it's the, the long, I meant to say this last week, but it looks like they cleaned up the long snapping uh, situations against Utah State. They had two pretty low snaps. Torrey was able to corral them and then even one that got blocked still went 40 yards um so with that um you know i there is a stat to where i think if iowa punts i think eight or nine more times they're like 12 and one something like that if someone can correct me so i guess that trend holds continues to hold true um so Corey may have to look that up i can't remember what this last year we would have been 12 and one is that what you're saying say what you're saying last year we would have been 12 and one if we no it? no 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 they ran us last year and they kind of continued it into this year where if Iowa punted nine times or more we were 12 and one or something like something like that or we're, we're like if we punted a lot last couple of seasons yeah yeah so well, so I just I always thought who those nine opponents were I promise you none of them were very good yeah but, good but I think it's still kind of a fun and interesting uh, stat with that. And then last thing, I think with Western Michigan, you guys had just kind of talked about it. My personal take on this, you play Cade first quarter, maybe a little bit second quarter, get up, pull him, say, okay, hey, we got you some reps, game reps. We're resting you. Deacon Hill or Marco or Joey, now it's now it's your turn. And that that's just my personal opinion on it. So, uh, so you're, but uh, anyways, have a, have a great night, guys. Um, we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Alex. So I'm assuming that means he would have Cade practicing during the week. I suppose, yeah. That's just a huge difference, right? I mean, like you said earlier, it's just a huge difference shutting a guy down and having him play half of a game. I mean, there's just a huge difference between the two of those things. Let's face it, if he practices all week and plays half a game on Saturday, it's kind of hard to imagine that he's less susceptible to an injury than he was yesterday. Right. You know, we're, we're just prolonging the problem, I, I think, maybe. Yeah. Um, do want to thank RTI Threads. They uh, are partnering with us for post-game coverage throughout the year with Coach Patterson. They're proudly carrying the official merchandise and apparel of Iowa defensive back Cooper DeGene, who played really well yesterday, Don. I thought Cooper had a better game than he did maybe week one. Uh, CD3LacesUp.com, folks, to check out this awesome stuff. And... Um, You'll probably see me in some of the apparel here down the road. Just stay tuned for that because it's it's some cool stuff. He even has a, a custom golf ball done. So mm. I hope to be getting myself some some Cooper DeGene uh, golf balls here soon. But again, cd3lacesup.com. Uh, RTI Threads also has deals with Zach Lutmer, Carson Shire, Aiden Hall. So this is an NIL company 
for the future. I mean, you're Cooper Gene, we're in the moment, but these are some young, really talented young guys that you Those know. Ohio. Custom golf balls, are they guaranteed to find the fairway or not? I can't say that because I'm sure that would produce more sales, but uh, that might be false advertising. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. again, uh, people want to go to cd3lacesup.com. And uh, before we get to our next caller, Don, I, I crowned uh, our RTI. I didn't have your, I wasn't able to consult you first yesterday. So I crowned, let me make sure I get this call answered. So we're going to put our next caller on hold as well. But I, I, I crowned my, uh, our RTI Threads player of the game yesterday. And do you want to guess who my player of the game was? Or maybe you heard me yesterday. No, it was not. It was actually Sebastian Castro. The four tackles and the 30-yard uh, interception return for a touchdown. You may say, well, the you know four tackles, big deal. I think you would agree, Don, how big it is when you can turn a turnover directly into points and how yeah. much that influences a victory. And if he trips up at the five yard line and we, Iowa may not get in. That was a huge, huge play. And as was Logan Lee's blo- field goal block early, but I mean, give credit to Sebastian Castro. He's, he's our, <coughs> our Reds player of the game. You know, the amazing thing that play was almost identical to the pick six by an Iowa state defender Cooper the week before. Yeah. If you showed him side by side, it's almost an identical play. And this you time, you mean Jeremiah Cooper? Yeah, Jeremiah Cooper. Is that what you said? Okay. Yeah. I was, you said Cooper. I thought you meant Cooper the Gene. Yeah, Jeremiah. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I meant Jeremiah Cooper. Yeah. Almost the exact same positioning, the exact same. Uh, Good break on the ball. Excellent. Intercept. Yeah, it was a nice play. Did you think Jeremiah Cooper's interception on Regani was pass interference? Yeah, honest to God, in this day and age, there's hardly anything that's pass interference, it, it seems. That was a Big Ten crew. Uh, the announcers mentioned more than once that they're letting them play, as they said. But yeah, I thought he, I thought he interfered. Uh, but they don't, they didn't call it on either side. There were times I thought when we interfered, times I thought when they interfered. So it didn't surprise me that there was no call. And that's what Rick was wondering. And and the Deshaun Lee touchdown. Some people were saying that should have been offensive pass interference. I didn't have any problem with that no call. I just thought it was a good play made by Jaden Higgins. Um, as I watched the Jeremiah Cooper pick on Nico Raganini late uh, after the game, he couldn't really see it on the big board very well. Don, and then I was five rows from the field. You, you've been there. And as an offensive coordinator, you understood the importance of being up in the press box, which not all right. offensive coordinators do that. Most do, but not all do. Because you can't see everything. It's hard to see things. And... Right. You know, I, I couldn't tell. I, I just, but when I watched it back, there was a strong tug on the the jersey of Nico Ragaini, and he he went down because of that tug. And they were hand fighting first. I have no problem with hand fighting, right. but I did think that probably was was uh, was pass interference. Uh, OS for Hawks says that uh, the Cowboys just scored on a blocked field goal, so you'll like that, Don. They uh, again. Barbara says Marv Cook. Uh, he, she gave Marv Cook guitar lessons when he was a kid. And my guess is he was good at that, too. I'm guessing he probably was. Um, and then Spaceboy74, has this phrase been used yet tonight? Every time Don smiles, a kitten is born. Uh, <laughs> please share that with your wife later, Don. Make sure she's make sure she hears that. <laughs> that one's going to surprise her. I don't think she's ever heard that before. All right, let's get to our next caller who's been on hold. Thank you for calling our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line. Who's on the line? 
This is Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, Corey, Coach Don. Um, great, great victory Saturday. Um, my take on who I was impressed with from the Saturday's victory um, first was obviously Jazz Patterson for you know his big run and scoring the touchdown. Probably been the most impressive with them was um, that key block he had on that one pass play where he took out two defenders at once. Um, another guy I thought had a great game and nobody's actually talked about was Hayden Marge. He had some two key blocks at one for the long run and the touchdown along with Connor Colby. And then the last one would be Seth Anderson. And, and like, I agree with you, Corey, you know, I, I think he's a great player. He's going to be a great player for us. We just, like you said, we've got to find a way to get, get him the ball more, but that catch he had when he, I mean, he went up high to grab that catch. And then the one that was got overthrown. Yeah. He, he left that defender in the dust basically. And, you know, too bad that didn't connect, but I think he's just going to be a great player. We just got to find a way to get him the ball more and maybe on a crossing pattern to see what he can do in the open field. But, but I was impressed with those three guys. So, and, and I'll say this from, in support of what you just said about Seth and uh, Seth Anderson, sir. Uh, let's not forget the other power five team that offered him early in the recruiting process. Does anybody remember who that power five team was? Anybody at all? Don? I don't. Who's Kansas? And you may laugh, you know, at the time that doesn't, eh, that's an average, below average power five offer. Kansas offense looked pretty good on Thursday against, on Friday against Illinois. Yeah. Ask um, Illinois. Yeah, exactly. That's a good passing offense and with a good quarterback. So he would have went to a pretty good offense down there. You know, the offensive coordinator down at Kansas. He was a GA with you at Western Illinois. That's correct. Um, he, this was a good pro and Georgia tech wanted him as well uh, out of the ACC. So we had offers from several different power five conferences. I just think his, I, as I, I've said this so many times, I just think he's a kid you root for and his athleticism. He's got better speed than I thought he did when he first committed here. And I agree. Now, Jazz Patterson, Don, um, the caller brings up the block where he took out two guys, mm-hmm. and that was on a on a an edge rush that came from the right. Well, there was a a blindside rush coming from the left that Jazz picked up. I don't know when that was. I'll have to go back. I haven't been able to watch the whole game on television yet, but he he caught one late on the left that created a throw. I believe it was down to Luke Lachey. And it was a late pickup by Jazz Patterson, but it was a beauty. What what is it about backs that why do some backs have that natural? T- I mean, he's a young guy; he just got here last year. Why do some backs have that that natural ability to be good in in in, in uh, blitz pickup, and some don't? Well, you've only got a split second to react, of course, and it all starts with always assuming that your your pass protection responsibility is going to come. I think a lot of backs, of course, we assign. People to the backs that we don't think are coming. Corey, do you still have? Say that again, Don. Did I lose you? Can you shoot? Yeah. You're you're cutting in and out. Yep, I got you now. Okay. We'll uh, we'll see if he can. We'll see if Don can fix his internet issues there. Caller, do I still have you on the line? Yes, I'm still here. Okay. Was there anything else? Did I miss anything there? I, I agree with you about Seth Anderson, Jazz Patterson. Who was the third guy you mentioned? Uh, Hayden Large. Hayden Large. See, I, I, I'll have to go back on tape and watch him. It seems like Iowa's went less. I mean, they first of all, they've been coming out of the shotgun a lot more with Cade 
and they've even near the goal line they've ran an extra tight end back there in the traditional fullback spot so i feel like i've seen less of hayden large than i've expected but at the same time um i'll have to go back and watch him because he's an intriguing guy at six foot five at fullback but uh yeah they this offense is this offense is one of the few that still utilizes that position well yeah because going back to seeing when they kind of showed the replay from those plays and and then they they Pointing him out, you know, he made a key block along with Connor, Connor, Connor Colby on that long run and, and, and that touchdown. So I thought, you know, that was key, you know, hopefully that will progress him more and make those key blocks that maybe help to free up the running game a little bit better than, you know, what we've had here, obviously the first couple games. So I just thought he played a real good game for, you know, so far in his, you know, career at Iowa. So, but, John, did um, you have anything else no, to add, add to the- Yeah. No, uh, I'm sorry. I apologize that you lost me for a little bit. Hopefully it won't happen again. Uh, I'm not sure where the question left off. Do you have anything else, caller? Yeah, um, a couple other things. Um, with Coach was making the comparison with uh, Cade uh, to Jim Hartley, which I'm an older gentleman, and I remember Jim. He was yeah, a great player. I think more of a comparison with Kate. I, for me personally, I think he reminds me a lot of Mark Plastic. Go back a little bit further. Don, what do you think? You, you really like Mark Plastic. Well, Mark Plastic had an NFL arm. You know, he played a long time in the NFL. And with a little bit, bit of luck, Kate will have that same kind of NFL career. We don't know that yet, but but uh, we'll find out before too long, of course, because Kate's days are numbered in college. Yeah, I, I think he reminds me of that. And Going another comparison, uh, kind of comparing Caleb Johnson and Jazz Patterson. Now Caleb's a little bit smaller, but I, you know, saying like a glider. I think you know, kind of go back in the early '90s. Kind of reminds me of uh, Nick Bell and Tony Stewart when they were sharing the backfield together. You know, had that Nick Bell was more of a glider power, and Stewart was more of the quicker guy and, and everything. So, yeah, there's there's some parallel there. I would agree. They were both great backs, and the beauty of having them both on the same team is they're interchangeable. And of course, it's hard for the defense to even recognize which one's in the game. Yeah, I agree. And and the last thing I got is um, everybody, you know, gets um, you know pick on you know with the offense not scoring the you know the points like you said yesterday in your post game. Yes, you know, yeah, you like to win and score forty. 45, whatever points. But, you know, my opinion, a win is a win no matter how you get it. You know, just like today in the NFL, there are some teams are, you know, first game look like, man, they're going to be all the way to win the Super Bowl, but they might not end up being there. So it's like week to week, it's, you just never know what you're going to get and what, you know, with what team, what they compare. So if you can find some way to win the ball game, that's to me is the most important thing. Yeah, it doesn't have to be flashy. Nice to be flashy, get all these points and everything else, but. I'd rather win the ball game than be flashy. My, I think my Kirk, I'd rather have. I think Kirk would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that's just, that's just my. I mean, you think about you know the the couple Super Bowl wins from the Ravens and and Tampa Bay when the obviously they didn't have that great of an offense. You know, Joe Flacco led led uh, Baltimore and Brad Johnson led Tampa Bay, but they had great defense. You know, they weren't the greatest quarterbacks in the world, was it flashy? But they were just good enough to get the job done and, and when that kind of I feel like that's what we got we got a great defense and we got an offense I think is coming I think if 
we're going to be a lot better than what people think towards the end end of the year. I, I just strongly believe that. Once everybody gets familiar with each other, get on the same page, get connection with these wide receivers and everything else, we're going to be, I think, a lot better offense than what people right now is just seeing. So. One comment I can make, Corey, and Rilab. Your goal as a coach is to not have any weak units. Uh, and the reason I say it that way, we only have to go back to, let's just mention the Illinois game last year. You know, you hate to lose a game 9-6 to six because you could certainly argue that your defense played well enough to earn the win. And for that matter, that your kicking game was fine. So the reason we have a, a sense of urgency on offense is we recognize the better our offense can be, then the more margin for error we have in winning a game. Let's face it, if you're if you're any unit is a weak link, then you have to be sure to do more things right to be able to earn the win. And um, if you can shore up that weak link and make it not so weak anymore, then that gives you more margin for error. Maybe you can win the game even though you were minus two on turnovers. But try doing it on a on a team that does have a weak link, it's gonna be more likely to bite you. Anything else, sir? Um, nope. That's uh, about all I have. But yeah, I just thanks for you guys using the show. You do an awesome job, and I always listen to it after every game because I always like to hear the insight. And oh, yeah, I guess I do have one thing for coach. I just now remembered on with the offensive line. Um, just a question. I mean, obviously we've done great these first two games with pass protection, and obviously we haven't you know done good with the run blocking. Is it harder to to be good at pass blocking as a line than it is to be run blocking as a line? I think it depends on the player. Um, you would argue that the more aggressive player uh, logically would be a better run blocker than a pass blocker. Pass protection is a different animal. Uh, and one comment I would make about our right tackle <clears throat> He has to never, ever forget, and I'm sure he's heard it a million times. You've got to guard against being overextended on your pass set. If you're overextended, you got your weight too much on your on, on the balls of your feet, which means you're a little more likely to be pulled out of your out of your uh, out of your protection position. And of course, it's easier for the defender to get around you. If he can pull you his way, then he can use that momentum to clear you. Um, so that's one thing that our right tackle has to be concerned about. I think he might have improved in that area uh, yesterday. I remember against Utah State, I, I thought he was going to have to guard against getting overextended because that's typically that's the problem. You know, you you want to land your land your punch, uh, but you have to just simply recognize my job is to stay between the rusher and the quarterback. If I can just give ground grudgingly. And by enough time, then the ball's gone. But if I if I if I'm too anxious and I get extended and I don't land my punch, then he's around me. So you got to keep your weight back and give ground grudgingly. And that's a problem for a really aggressive player. Any any uh, ultra aggressive offensive lineman, it's it's kind of counterintuitive for him to be a, a pass protector. He's got to learn that and understand that it's a different assignment than a run block, entirely different. Okay, I'm, I understand it, but yeah, I just didn't know what was you know harder, you know, the past compared to run. But that no, nope, that explains. But 
that's uh, that's all I got. I just want to thank you guys and keep up the good good job. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the phone call. One other thing I can say, Corey, the, the all-conference offensive linemen or the all-American offensive linemen, they're really ultra-aggressive on run blocking, and yet they can recognize that I've got to keep my cool on, on pass sets and guarding is getting overextended. They can do both. All right, folks, we're going to take one final commercial break. We'll be right back with more. Again, talking Iowa and Cyhawk, and we'll, of course, talk about uh, Western Michigan a little bit, kind of the plan ahead here with Cade. And I want to talk a little bit more about the rest of the Big Ten this week. A couple surprises with Wisconsin falling on the road at Wazoo, Illinois falling at Kansas. This has been an interesting week, and then Minnesota kind of struggled. The West is up for grabs. Nebraska looks awful right now. We'll talk about it more coming up. Final commercial break. We'll be back with more. Uh, But first, a word from the people that uh, help make all of this happen. Uh, First of all, we'll start with uh, Brad Van Meter and his team down at State Farm. We appreciate Brad because uh, he's giving people great rates, great quotes on car insurance, boat insurance, uh, whatever the case may be, whatever you need. He's part of the largest auto insurance company in the country, and uh, they'll they'll treat you right, get you what you need for your, your personal life or your business. They spend countless hours taking care of their customers on a week-in, week-out basis. They've got three fully licensed team members to help you navigate through the complex insurance world. Again, go to bradvanmeter.com or call him at 515-256-6480. 515-256-6480 or in person at 4229 Fleur Drive in Des Moines. Also, uh, Iowa Smokehouse. I've actually got a bag of uh, their cracked pep- black pepper steak bites. Man, they're good. Uh, tasting is believing with Iowa Smokehouse. Use the code Hawkeyes for 15% off your order. Doesn't this picture just make you... Uh, Want game day back already. It's hard to wait six days uh, for the next game day. But, uh, of course, there's NFL games and college game days, college games throughout the week. So you need to have your uh, fair share of snacks. And they've got their fair share of variety between their their uh, steak bites. Their, um, they've got uh, jerky, traditional jerky. Their salsa is great. Their barbecue sauces. They've got ketchups, custom uh, homemade ketchups. You can visit them online at iowasmokehouse.com and use the code Hawkeyes for 15% off your order. Again, that's the code Hawkeyes for 15% off your order, courtesy of Iowa Smokehouse. All right. Um, we've got a caller on hold, I believe, in our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line. Yakov 22 how you doing, sir? Hi, guys. First of all, I'm very happy to see you both again. It's been a long offseason. Good to see you as well. It's, it's the best sport in all of at least North American sports, but we also saddle with the longest offseason as well. That, that is also true. Yeah. And, Corey, before I ask something, uh, I want to say congratulations. I, your show has really grown. You have all these sponsors. You have commercials. The show has uh, really taken <laughs> off. Well, it's a two. as I told people, it's a two-hour show, and our sponsors help support the show. If, if people can't handle three minutes of commercials for uh, – Two hour, two to three hour show. Then yeah, we've I, lost I can handle it. I'm complimenting. I'm I'm happy. I appreciate you had, that. You end up getting more. I'll be good with that too. I appreciate that, sir. Actually, Coach, again, happy to see you again, Coach. Uh, actually, Coach, I'd like to ask you a question, not specific to you know either the past game or, or Western Michigan, but uh, um, what it is, Coach, is let's say someone's a position coach, and in, in Iowa, that is a full time full time job. And what I was thinking is, 
I'm just going to say from an Ohio State perspective, Brian Hartline, who was the wide receivers coach, he became yeah. a co-offensive coordinator. How much he's really calling plays, that's a, that's not you guys. That's not for you guys to talk about because i got to call an Ohio State show for that. But my question is, Coach, when someone has such a full-time, full-time job as a position coach, and then they are elevated to be a coordinator and or co-coordinator, I guess I just don't understand where the time in the day is to – do both of those jobs maybe i was wondering if you could tell me how can you go from be a position coach with so much and then all of a sudden you're also a coordinator and you can still do that it's a challenge believe me um best way i could explain it you they're only when think of it this way if you have the same kickoff next week that you had last week it means after the game you've got roughly 165 hours to get ready for the next game Most of those hours need to be spent in waking mode or specifically need to be at work because it's a race against the clock. And um, my goal back in the 80s and the 90s was to get four hours sleep on Monday night, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. I slept like a baby on Friday night. People have always said, I bet you're nervous the night before the game. No, I'm exhausted. And for that matter, I hope it's a road game because I'll be asleep by the time the bus pulls out of the parking lot or I'll be asleep before the plane takes off. Um, So I've been lucky. I never needed a lot of sleep, so I could operate on limited sleep. And then on on Saturday night after the game, you get a good night's sleep then too because you're not going to address the video until Sunday morning. Uh, But that's just the life of a coach. That's the way – that's the way we did it. That's the only way that Iowa back in those days could beat, consistently could beat all the teams in the Big Ten. You simply had to outwork them. And uh, and I don't think that's changed too much. Uh, the staffs that do the most amazing jobs are the ones that outwork the other staff. And uh, Corey mentioned, did you by any chance, Shaka, see the KU game against Illinois on Thursday night? I, I saw some highlights. Well, if you've seen the game or go back and watch the game, because it'll yeah. the, con- the condensed version will be on Big Ten Network, right? The, right. You know how they can condense the game to an hour. In a week, yeah. I would encourage you to watch it, because what you'll see when you look at KU, they're really fun to watch. Or as my wife put it, as she was watching the game, she made the comment that Andy really did a good job of learning how to run an offense and the reason he, she mentioned it that way is because Andy was a great assistant for me right? back at yeah, Western Illinois. Yeah. And if you looked at the game or look at the highlights of the game or, or the condensed version, the hour-long game on, B, on Big Ten Network, you'll be amazed at how many different ways they have of getting the ball downfield. I say getting it downfield. I'm talking about advancing it both by run and throw. Uh, just very, very – I'll put it this way. I congratulated Andy after the game. I said, Andy – I texted him. I hadn't talked to him in a long time. I said, Andy, I saw the game tonight. Congratulations, because your offense was both innovative and imaginative, and it could not make, I could not be more prouder of you for how you did your job tonight. And he did text me back on that same Thursday night, and he said, thanks, Coach. That means a lot. Oh, good. Uh, so my point is you need to be able to not just out-execute the other team, you need to be able to out game plan the other team. You need to be out able to out coach the other team by making game time adjustments too. You need to do all of those. Otherwise, you're not going to win with the kind of consistency that you want. Right. Okay. Well, thank you, Coach. And I guess my my one last question I'll ask, Coach, is obviously 
Iowa coaches could never say type of thing, this type of thing publicly. But in truth, this week, are, are they really working on Western Michigan or are they all Penn State this week? Again, I know the coaches can't say that. Players will never make a thing publicly like that. Maybe Corey wants to answer that too uh, from a different perspective. But I, I think, uh, Coach, I, I'm thinking they're working more Penn State. But I, I, I have no idea for the record, Don. Well, here's the reality. I'm not disrespecting you, Western Michigan. I'm just saying. I, well, but, you need to be focused on the next opponent right. because, honestly, it's, it's entirely – possible that you would confuse one defensive scheme that you're seeing this Saturday with the other defensive scheme that you're seeing a week later. I didn't even think about Uh, that. For that reason, you need to focus. Now, you might spend a little bit of time or maybe you have uh, a particular uh, coach to take a look at at the opponent that's still a week away, an extra week away, but it's not going to be the play caller. I can just about promise you. Play caller, his entire focus needs to be on that opponent that's right there in front of him. On game day. Okay. Okay, so I'm, I'm glad you said that. I was a little too dismissive of, Mich- of Western Michigan there, but maybe there is a reason to, to, to work on that. So I understand that. Guys, thanks again. It's great. Thank to. You, I'm glad the offseason's over. Football's here. I can, I can hear I, I enjoy hearing the high school. I live about a mile from high school. I, hear, I love hearing the, the yep. practice in the evening. And uh, there's a little, little, not much, but a little cooler. That means football's here. It'll get cooler. Yes. Have Thank a good you, evening, sir. gentlemen. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Yakov. All right. We're going to go quick fire on um, some final questions to finish off our show. We appreciate, Don, you being here for the last couple of hours. Um, and again, we're going to go kind of quick fire. Before we do that, one final quick commercial break. We'll be right back with more here, Iowa Post Game with Coach Don Patterson. Every day in the U.S., 47 children are diagnosed with cancer. Statewide nonprofit Children's Cancer Connection serves more than 780 Iowa families affected by childhood cancer. It provides new diagnosis resources, camps, family outings, and much more, all free of charge. This September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. How aware are you? Learn more, volunteer, or donate at childrenscancerconnection.org. That's childrenscancerconnection.org. Imagine the Possibilities is dedicated to empowering people to reach individual achievement across the spectrum of life. We believe in creating lasting relationships, empowering people for success, and cultivating joy. Our team of passionate people work each day to serve our communities in ways that create a lasting impact. We believe in creating opportunities for people with disabilities to achieve goals, build skills, and celebrate all that's possible. If you want to learn more about us or join our exceptional team, visit us at imagineia.org. Appreciate Imagine the Possibilities and certainly uh, Cancer Awareness Month, very important time period people to uh, be aware of uh, the number of young people who are uh, infected by that awful disease on a day-to-day basis don you're a cancer survivor so you can appreciate that as well so certainly appreciate um, our sponsors children's cancer connection for build helping to build awareness through the platform here from the hawkeye of the storm so some quick fire questions here before we finish things off and uh, if anybody missed it yes we do have the brian ferentz points per game tracker up in the corner just to the uh, uh just above don's head <laughs> uh, 
Right now, the count is 22 points per game. The number is going down because they were 24 points per game last week. They scored 20 points this week. Average those two outs, 22 points per game. I explained this to people yesterday, Don, if you if you really want to keep track of how we're looking at this, the font color, the 22 points per game color, is going to be red if we're below the 25-point threshold. It's going to be green if we're at or above the 25-point-per-game threshold. The little arrow above Brian's hand there, that arrow is going to be going down and will be red if we're heading in the wrong direction or in the opposite direction that Brian wants to head to. And it will be going up and green if we're heading in toward 25 points per game or higher. So I'll predict that next Sunday, next Saturday night after the game, it'll be green. You're going to have a little green arrow. I don't yep. know. Will the, will the font be green? I think the, the, the font will be green also. They need to score. How many points do they need to score to bring the season average? You're well, a math. 44, we need to get to 75, right? So we got to have 31 points. <laughs> I hope so. That's a good goal. That's a good goal. <laughs> it's, it's a good we're, goal. we're green all over the place. Yeah. Um, so Brock wants to know why the defensive touchdowns count toward Brian's uh, 25 point per game threshold. I don't think either one of us have an, an answer to that. Um, no, it doesn't make any sense. If we're, if we're evaluating an offensive coordinator by points per game, which according to the staff and Kirk specifically has said that he evaluates his coaches not based on total yardage or points, you know, points per game. He evaluates them based on wins and losses, which I don't completely agree with. Not Not coordinators, not position coaches. That makes no sense to me. But even if we were grading him on points per game, why would – why would Sebastian Castro, who, by the way, he is our RTI Threads player of the game. I mentioned that earlier. Why would his interception return for a touchdown uh, yesterday be counted towards the 25 points per game, which is use, we're using to grade the Brian Ferentz offense? Can you explain that to me, Don? I cannot. Okay. <laughs> so anyways, I... I I don't know. I don't understand that, but that does help. the 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 interception does count. People ask that in the chat. The interception return for a touchdown. Any defensive scores, special teams scores, safeties, safeties count as well. Don, we haven't had one of those yet. We'll hope we'll hope to get one at some point. I'm sure Brian hopes for for a safety as well. Uh, Brian, this not Brian Ferentz. Brian L says, "Why don't you have? Why don't you talk about your merch? We need a waist down shirt. Well, I'll have a waist down shirt. That's a good idea. Maybe I can have a shirt that says." What is a waist down? <laughs> I'll, to, I'll work on that. That'll be a tough decision. Is that better than a what's the upside shirt? <laughs> I thought that was a good shirt too. Double trouble dad squad. It's hard for me to believe that Parker Dejan and Rusty Feth are that far behind the current starters. Well, Rusty's playing, isn't he? Am I wrong? Rusty was out there, I believe, in the first half. Is okay. that recall? Yeah, I think Dejan's the one that seems to be further behind Duncan. Yeah. Is that surprising to you? He's missed, he's missed a lot of time. It is disappointing. Of course, the game really – we couldn't really put it away until late stages. Uh, I'd be shocked if he doesn't get more playing time this weekend. Um, this is not this – is, this is fake news. Silas says it's not defensive points scored included. It's only offensive point scoring. That is not true. That's a, that's a misnomer. I'm sorry. That is not true. Go back and read the contract stipulation. That's not true. Uh, Eric wants to know if Caden Weijin played at all in Ames. Yes, he did. And uh, he's, 
he's been involved and kind of the surprise contributor so far with the offense. He's got speed, Don. We'll see if they can integrate him into any plays down the field as the game goes on because he does have some breakaway speed that maybe some other guys don't have. They've been using him in the backfield with some of those uh, you know, sweeps and and kind of that that behind the the line action, but what what more? How can you integrate him into the game plan with that quickness? Well, also, yeah, you're, Don's breaking up a little bit. I think Don said you, he said something about the the kickoff, and yes, they did. They they removed Caleb. They was that a surprise to you that they moved Caleb Johnson from that spot during the game? Well, yeah, I did. To my knowledge, it's the first time that Wizard had returned a kick, right? It didn't go so well either, I might add. I'm not blaming him. You know, it, it all starts up front, of course, with good blocking. I think we got tackles short of the 20s, I recall. Um, comment here from T. Hink. He says, I did see Caleb Johnson in a boot when the team was going into the buses. Uh, I was not watching the team going into the buses. I got out of there, so that's news to me. I had not heard anything about that. But if that's the case, that might explain why he was not in on, on kick return duties. Jack says, uh, Coach, what are your thoughts on all the counters Iowa used yesterday in the run game? It's a good play. You know, we always ran our counter, and and um, and the beauty, of the way we run it, the trailer is typically a tight end. When I say the trailer, you know, you're going to pull two people from one side of the formation and run the play on the other side. <clears throat> the first puller is the offensive guard. He's going to be responsible for kicking out on the end man on the line of scrimmage. And then the second puller, is a tight end, which makes more sense than using a tackle because he's a more athletic player. And, of course, he might be lined up in a close wing position or he might be lined up. Uh, we used to do it even pull him off the line of scrimmage. Uh, but typically now we use our, our second man as a tight end. Maybe he's lined up in the backfield. Maybe he's in a wing position, one or the other. And uh, he's the guy that's we used to refer to that as swabbing out the hole. You know, hopefully the pulling guard gets a kickout block on the man on the line, and then the tight end pulls up in the hole as the, as the lead blocker for the, the back who has counterstepped to time the thing up just right. That's a good sound play. We ran it a number of times, and it had good success. It was the 59-yarder. Is it, well, wait a minute. I take that back. It was not. I don't believe it was. Was it correct? I don't think that was a counter. Maybe it was. I can't recall. I, I, I'd have to go back. I mean, I don't watch any of it back, so I'd have to yeah. go back and look. Yeah, it's a good sound play. Yeah. Most people do have it in their offense, incidentally. It's not like we're the only ones running it. Jack says, Coach, how can we get our speed players involved more in space at the edges? That kind of goes along with my question on Caden Weijin, but also Seth Anderson, Caleb Brown, those guys. Well, uh, misdirection would help. You know, sometimes you see speed players open in space because the, the floor of the play was one way, and yet the ball went the other way. Uh, and it could be... It could be a misdirection run out of the backfield, or it could be a play-action pass where the quarterback's faking one way and rolling the other and then hitting a receiver that's running across the field. Uh, it brings up a good point. There was one play in there. You remember the play, Corey. It was a ball that was thrown and caught to uh, Nico. It was fairly late in the game. Let me find it here. And I want to make – I think the announcers made the same comment that I'm about to make. Yeah, Third and nine, we ran a mesh route uh, that was thrown behind Nico Ragaini. Uh, and the reason it's so important, you know, you're talking about there's two kinds of, 
a pass refs. There are refs that give a receiver a chance to run out with the ball after the catch. In other words, he's able to continue running the way he was running. And there are other kinds of passes where maybe the receiver squared up to the quarterback. He's looking for the ball to be thrown right here in his chest. And then from there, of course, he's got to read. He's basically stationary. He's a good stationary target. It's easier to hit a stationary target, of course. The only negative, he's got to try to wheel out of that position he's in to get downfield. Uh, you remember the play I'm talking about. Nico was running from right to left. It was against man coverage. But there was a safety in the back end that recognized it was a mesh play. And the only problem with the throw, Cade was upset with himself as he should have been. He threw it behind Nico. What did Nico have to do? He had to, he had to rotate his hips back to the backside catch the ball, but when he did that, he also presented his shoulder pass to the defender. So the trick is to keep the ball in front, give Nico a chance to catch it on the dead run, and now when he catches it on his outside shoulder, he can secure the ball outside arm and now be in position to fight off that tackler that's coming from inside. He was he was unprotected on the play. It was an easy tackle for the safety. We gained next to nothing on it, in large part because of ball placement. That one was on Cade, and Cade knew it was on Cade because he was upset with himself for not making a more accurate throw and not giving Nico a chance to run out with the ball, as we said. Good explanation. Yep, good explanation, Don. We'll go quick fire on these last few. Brian says Jamari Harris shouldn't get his, his spot back automatically. Um, I would agree. I don't think anything's automatic, and Deshaun Lee's played really well, but let the guys battle, Don. Um, let them battle. That's what I would say. I would split time with the ones and split time with the twos. Yeah. And evaluate them during the week. And if one guy's clearly playing better than the other, that's who would start the game. Uh, assuming it's still a coin toss, maybe you can only find out next Saturday. Let's find out next Saturday by playing one one series and the next one the next. Uh, rotate it back and forth. Play them both. LFG says, is Jazz quick enough to use from a wildcat formation? Everybody loves a wildcat, Don. So LFG saying he's the he's the wildcat. He's the guy in the. I, I guess he's the so. guy taking the snaps. Well, is that what he's saying? He wouldn't necessarily have to be taking the snaps. I mean, obviously right. you could use him in the wildcat, but is he taking snaps? That's a different question. Yeah, the first concern is can he feel the snap cleanly every time? Right. Uh, because he's lined up no deeper than five yards, and the ball comes back pretty quick. And if you've never done it. Takes a little bit of getting used to, of course, because your entire focus has to be on that snap. Right. Uh, Eric says, "What realistically happens with Brian if Iowa doesn't get to twenty-five at the end of the year? We, we'd just be speculating." Um, and Michelle says, "Since the last activity director left, is that or active athletic director left? Is twenty-five point rule stick with Brian? Uh, as far as we're aware, yes. Um, the contract is the contract, and it was." Represented by University of Iowa, even though Brian Fer or uh, Gary Barta was behind it. Jack says, Don, are they following your analytics? And Brian says, did you advise Kirk to defer? Because Kirk was asked if he wanted to defer or get the ball first in the postgame. Of course, they ended up kicking off. Well, you do recall me saying this, Corey. I think I mentioned it maybe last week. Maybe I just mentioned it to you in private. Uh, I know that somebody asked me during the week, you got any predictions for Saturday? And they mentioned analytics. And I said, first off, you have to understand, analytics relate to the Big Ten games. Right. Not to, not to Iowa State. So the, I'll say this about an analytic for Iowa State. Turned out to be true. I said, I'll make the prediction right now. The team that scores the first touchdown wins the game. 
And one of the priorities I had for the game is we got to play out in front because we're not very good at playing from behind. Right. And just imagine last Saturday, if we're, yesterday, if we're playing from behind, the crowd would really be into the game. It would be more difficult to handle crowd noise. We've already proven that we're not a great come-from-behind team. So clearly it's important to start off with a lead. And thankfully we got that done in spades. It's miles per gallon. Corey, do you have thoughts on Jeff Sims? I think he's really going to challenge the Hawks on Black Friday. If the Huskers fans haven't run him out of town by then. Well, yeah, he's he's looked bad. Um, and, and the West in general uh, has looked pretty porous. I, I, I expected more out of Wisconsin. I didn't get to watch that game. Going out to Pullman. Remember, they lost at home to Wazoo last year. Wazoo's without a conference in a year. You would just think that Wisconsin could go out there and take care of business, but they were thoroughly beat. And then you have Illinois losing to Kansas. Now, Kansas is a good offense, but Illinois didn't look good. And don't forget, uh, um, Purdue lost last week. They did bounce back with a win over Vatek this week, which is good to see. Charlotte challenged Maryland for a while. Eastern Michigan challenged Minnesota for a while. Thankfully, for the Big Ten West, no other upsets. Just your thoughts on the division right now, Don. Well, you're right. One week ago, Wisconsin looked to be very formidable. And... Um, Illinois was able to beat a good Toledo team. And one week later, the perception is different. Uh, I was surprised that Wisconsin lost, uh, even though it's not easy to go west and play, as we know. We struggle with that, too. Uh, but let's back up a year. Washington State beat them in Camp Randall last year. So all of a sudden, and, and the amazing thing is, Wisconsin had difficulty running the football. Yeah, uh, but they, here's, they can't run the ball right now. Here's the truth. They look really good against Buffalo. Well, you're probably not aware of this, Corey, but do you know what Buffalo did yesterday? No. They somehow managed to lose to an FCS school. Who? That's, that's in New York City, and I can't think of the name of it. Help me out. What's the name of the school in New York City? I don't know. Buff Buffalo? Let me, let me look up Buffalo here. Let me just see. Um. I can't even find. Let me see. Buffalo. What are they? The Bulls, Don? You used to coach at Buffalo. Yes. Buffalo. Buffalo lost to Fordham. Thank you. Fordham. Fordham is FCS and not a very good FCS, I thought. So that's that's really a crusher for, for Buffalo. Don, how we about – I was just going to say real quick, not to interrupt you, but how about uh, Utah State putting up 78 on Idaho State? And you may say – who, who's Idaho State? I don't know anything about that program. Is that FCS, I'm assuming? I think it's FCS and, and a bad FCS, I believe. But listen to this. Let me just say this, Don. You can you say whatever you want. I'm going to be an Idaho State fan for a second. Idaho State lost by just eight to San Diego State in week one. That's amazing. That's that a would, good program. That would surprise anyone. And let's, not, let's back up one week. You heard me say last week. Either we were a disappointment against Utah State or they're better than what we thought. I choose to think they're better than what we thought. I agree. I think and they proved Idaho, it again. Idaho State, we're going to get another test from them this week. They play Northern Iowa this week. Both those teams are, are now 0-2. Who did Northern Iowa lose to this week? They lost to a very good Weber State team. Okay. Weber State, uh, I think, is ranked 11th or something. They're ranked right now. Mark says, Coach, the play action kept playing for – or the PA kept playing for two to three seconds after Iowa came to the line of scrimmage. Also, the PA was louder than the crowd for those two to three seconds. Are there rules for the PA system? 
You know, it's a good question. I thought, was, no. I thought it was loud as well, Don, just sitting there. But the crowd was so out of the game. I think they were trying to pump some artificial noise in there. Okay, so we're saying, we're saying, even after we got to the line of scrimmage, it was still loud. I didn't, I didn't notice. I, I didn't notice that so much. I'm not saying Mark's wrong. I just, I just didn't notice that so much. I noticed the stupid Iowa State band continuing every time the official had a call to make. We we couldn't hear a single penalty because the band's bad. Nah, nah, you know you can't hear anything. We yeah. couldn't hear a single call. We have no idea what's going on. Thankfully, well, Iowa had no penalties. Yeah, you're fortunate there were only two two penalties that got assessed at least. Maybe there yeah. were others that were declined. But there were other things that the, the officials explained, and you can't hear any of it with that right. band. Anyways, I have something against the Iowa State band, as you can tell. T. Uh, <laughs> Hink says, "Why can't Brian Ferentz drop flea flickers?" Flea flicker is an option, Don. Why, not, why? Why isn't that in the playbook? It should be. It should Man. be, and we should run it. The only matter of fact, it would have been ideal to run it on third and two. We did run play action and hit him. But what? Yeah. What better time to run a flea flicker than an obvious run situation? So maybe we're saving that for Penn State. Yeah. Appreciate our users here who um, are confirming. Yes, it was Fordham. It was Fordham. Uh, Brandon says, Don, with how well our new Michigan. Um, Michigan fullback was sending people backwards in a big former tight end. You see Iowa using him more in the offense. Talking about Hayden Large. I think you must be talking about. I was thinking they were talking about Eric. Uh, well, see, I think they're talking because Eric does line up in the backfield some, as you know. I think he's talking about Hayden Large though, Don, because gotcha. he's a okay. former. He's referring to him as a former tight end, and Hayden is from Michigan. Oh, I thought he was from Iowa. I'm sorry. I didn't realize where Hayden was from. He went to Dort, but I believe he is originally from Michigan. I got you. Well, you've heard me say before, I'm I'm a little skeptical of a fullback that's 6'5", because part of a fullback's job, of course, is to have low pads and be able to drive people off the ball. So uh, I I am aware he's got decent ball skills. I saw him catch catch a ball or two in the the spring, uh, in the um, kids' day workout. So that's a plus. Um, he looked okay as a blocker. You know, in the few snaps he had, we haven't used him a whole lot because we've also used Eric All actually lined up as a fullback, you recall. Uh, and he can play. He's been a puller on, on the our counter to the weak side of the formation away from him. He's been one of those guys to pull and, uh, and proven to be a good solid blocker. It doesn't surprise me that Eric doesn't take that part of his game seriously too. Okay, one final thing here um, from South Bend Hawkeye. Don, how does a coach keep a kid motivated and successful when he's not really being used in the offense? He's re- referring to Caleb Brown. And they are trying yeah. to get him involved. They've tried to get him involved, as you said. They tried against Utah State as well a time or two. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm guessing the average fan had no idea that we actually were trying to throw him the ball on our first drive. We had um, third and eight. On the plus 10, we intended for Caleb. It was broken up at scrimmage. We also threw a fade in late to uh, Caleb Brown. Uh, that was against man tight. Again, somebody pressed up on him. Your job is to beat the guy down the field. He didn't do it. He was covered. So, you know, we're trying to get him the ball, but, but he's part of the equation too, you know. We're giving him chances. It's unfortunate that he didn't have a chance to catch the ball 
in the end zone there on that first possession. It wasn't his fault that the ball was batted down. But truthfully, I don't know that we would have completed it anyway because he did not have good separation from the DB. So we're, you know, we're, we're giving him opportunities. And here's the bottom line, as I always used to tell the players when, you, when I was a head coach, listen, if you take advantage of the opportunities, the one thing I can guarantee you, you're going to get more opportunities. And if, if, uh, if they don't go, if they're not productive, then don't be offended if we maybe work a different direction than to you quite so much. If you want a lot of touches, you better make plays. That's the bottom line. Final call of the night. Thank you for calling Iowa Post Game here with Coach Don Patterson, our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line. Who's on the line? Lomansky, Corey, good evening. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely, Lomansky. Good to hear from you. Could you uh, could you do me a favor off air? Mm-hmm. Sure, maybe. Okay, you put you you put a uh, well. You're a can do kind of ga- uh, guy. You're a can do kind of guy. I'm kind of surprised, but above Don's head, from his perspective on the left hand side, there's a little man with his right arm raised, and it's almost like after Don comments on something. That little man wants to jump in, and you won't give him time of day. You won't let him comment. So I think you should put the little man above your head. Okay. Well, we'll have to. Uh, let me see if I can. Is there any way to do that? Let me see if I can do this real quick, Lomansky. Uh, is there a way to actually switch? That's a good question. Can I switch? There we go. Look at that. <laughs> your wish is my command, Lomansky. We just pulled it off. I just don't want two coaches in the same room, you know. <laughs> Brian can hang out with me for a while. The only reason I like the other way better, Corey, is I can think of myself as being your right hand man. Okay, right, let's, <laughs> let's let's go back then. <laughs> Boy, you know when you get used to a certain uh, play call and a pattern, I'm really discombobulated looking at you guys now. It's kind of weird. <laughs> I appreciate that, Lomansky. I just got one comment. I think it's uh, appropriate to go out on this uh, on this uh, commentary. Is that uh, well, I'm glad I know how Corey's marriage goes because he just flipped it back the other way. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, Don, I remember when Bowlesby introduced the head of uh, introduced Kirk as a new head coach of Iowa, and I thought about all those other guys that applied and didn't get the job. So, I'm glad you got to be a head coach. You had so much success. I wanted to mention that, and that leads into my comment is that Corey earlier talked about the scandals in the Big Ten. And, of course, you know, I sat uh, I sat in the 40-yard line when, number one, Iowa defeated number two Michigan, and Jim Harbaugh got his, his you-know-what handed to him. And so I've always kind of, um, what's the right word? I love beating Michigan. I love beating Ohio State. Uh, they're talked about a lot, but very proud of the Iowa program. The thing that uh, is compared to, and I think about what if Don had gotten the head coaching job at Iowa, I would have been very pleased and very proud of what he would have done there. When I compare, and this is what I want you both to, to comment on, what's, what's alike and different, Corey, you were six years old and you had your mom's hand walking down the sidewalk for some of those years, but... Hayden was a character, and Don's got some of that Haydenism. He's got that sense of humor. He's got that, that uh, he used two words. Imagination was one of them as far as play calling. Innovation was the other one. And, Corey, I feel bad you didn't get to see those days because 
those play calls are second and none in the Big Ten. The one thing that, that Kirk probably doesn't have, and he admitted it when he took the Iowa job, was Hayden's personality. And one of the media said right to Kirk when he was being introduced as a coach, you know, how are you going to follow Hayden? And I kind of fell in love with Kirk right away because he said, you know, there's no, there's only one Hayden Fry. And Don said it. But Kirk did say, I'm going to be me. And I think the one thing that Hayden and him had alike was character and how they run the program and how they treat people and how they're loyal. The one thing they didn't have was the same personality. Kirk tries to be funny and sometimes I kind of enjoy it more than others because he just can't quite pull it off. He's kind of that kid in the room trying to be funny, and he's kind of half funny. Don, you've got a, a better personality probably as far as uh, humor. But you two can comment on, in tribute to his 200th win, how he's run the program the right way. We've avoided um, avoided some of the really horrific things like uh, what Michigan State's going through over the weekend. What's it like with Hayden and Kirk? What's different? I'd like you to end the show with uh, your comments on that and your points of view. I'll hang up and listen to how you end the show on my on my commentary. Thank, thank you, Lemaski. Maybe my uh, advantage, Lemaski. Maybe my advantage was I worked for Hayden for 21 years, and um, we did gain a great appreciation for Coach for anybody that worked for him. Um, couldn't help but feel that way about him. I don't think. Kirk would mind me sharing with you the text I sent him because it it really describes Kirk very well. And Kirk, I apologize if if you'd prefer I not share this text, but I, I'm going to do it anyway. Last night, I said, congratulations, Kirk, on a milestone victory. It remains a Hawkeye State, and you are proof Proof in all caps, you are proof that great character stands the test of time. That's Kirk Ferentz. And I'm proud to know him as a friend and a former colleague. Absolutely. Um, final plug for RTI Threads. They're uh, Cooper DeGene Apparel, Zach Lutmer, Aiden Hall, Carson Shire. Great stuff. Check out the full selection at c3lacesup.com and rtithreads.com for all their great products. We appreciate them sponsoring the channel. As you support our sponsors, you're supporting the work being done here from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Again, final from Saturday, Iowa defeating Iowa State in the Cyhawk game. The Hawkeyes are 2-0. They head to uh, Kinnick for Western Michigan Saturday at 2.30 p.m. Central Time on BTN. We'll have some time to, to think about that game here in the coming days, and um, we'll see what they do with Cade, Don. We've talked a lot about that scenario. Perhaps they sit him, perhaps they don't. I would lean that direction, but, of course, we're not there every day. Um, but I think it's fair to say I was got a good chance of being three and zero heading into a whiteout in Happy Valley. So uh, we'll have you for next. We'll have you for a normal post game next week because I'll finally be home. I will not be at the game on 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 Saturday. I'm you flying will. solo here on Limerick Lane, huh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you'll be uh, you'll be uh, uh, flying solo, but uh, you'll be at the game and you'll jump on as soon as you're done. We'll get Tom Cakert on to get some reaction from Kirk. It'll be a fun Saturday, Don. Thank you for taking the time on a Sunday, and we'll talk to you later in the week. Always a pleasure, Corey. All right, folks, for Coach John Patterson, I'm Corey Bradda from the Hawkeye of the Storm and Iowa Post Game with Coach John Patterson. We'll talk to you next time.